the Televerse podcast from Pop Optic TV. P-O-P-O-P-T-I-Q.com. Comedy, reality, drama, genre, and what's in between. Covering anything that's interesting. Yes, geek out on television, so much to see. So Peak TV kills us all. Current, retro, upcoming TV talk every week. Let's start the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse Pop Optics TV podcast. This is Kate Kolzik, TV editor of popoptic.com, and I'm joined this week by friend of the show, uh, very, very favored guest, and of course, co-creator of Pop Optic and uh, editor-in-chief of the site, Mr. Ricky G. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, Kate. Now, of course, you've been on the podcast many times before, I believe at least six times if not seven times uh but this is your first time guest co-hosting and i would like to thank you for uh taking on what is going to be you're more hopeful than i am i'm anticipating this being a long show because we got a lot of tv to talk about there's been a bunch of premieres and a bunch of finales do i hold the record for the most appearances on the televerse you do you do hold the record uh david bax is nipping at your heels but uh and he's eager to overtake you but no you know you you're you're still out in front that's fun. I can lose to him. He's a cool guy. Uh-huh. But uh, I'm not going to give up. Okay. That's we'll good. Hey, it works out for me. I just want to keep you guys, like, vying so that I constantly have, have guests. So just get, I'll get you guys invested in, like, a hosting number count feud. So that way I can just, like, feel a little more secure that I haven't scared away all of my guests. Now, I just have to thank you for inviting me on this week and reshuffling your schedule because we get to talk about Fear the Walking Dead. And for those listeners who somehow don't know this, we, of course, co-host uh, Pop Optics Walking Dead podcast, which will be coming back next week. Um, so, it, yeah, when you mentioned uh, wanting to talk about Fear of the Walking Dead as a season spotlight, I was like, OK, well, that's just too perfect. That fits so well, because then we'll go next week right into talking about The Walking Dead again. So I'm glad you had the, the idea because I would not have I should have, but I would not have made that connection. Coolios. I'm excited. It's gonna be fun. Yeah, we're we're keeping the top very very light this week. Uh, there's plenty of of news and TV developments that will come up in our discussion of of the shows of the week's TV. But uh, yeah, at the end of the podcast, we'll like I said, instead of a DVD shelf, we'll be spotlighting this season of Fear the Walking Dead and kind of diving in with what's worked and what hasn't. Uh, but for now, let's uh, take a break and come back with a full weekend TV. What do you say? Sounds good. Okay, we'll be right back after this. gonna work boss you ain't seen nothing yet cue the curtain
This week in comedy, I'm going to talk a little bit about The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, which, of course, started up this past week or the the hosting duty switched over this past week. Um, then I'll talk about the review finale, conspiracy theory, the Rick and Morty finale, the wedding squanchers, the married finale, gymnastics and the waiter. Uh, and then briefly, the life in pieces pilot, because I did not get a chance to talk about that in uh, the season or the fall season preview. Then Ricky will join me for to talk about uh, the Muppets. This week's episode is Hostile Makeover, but we'll also kind of look at, at the, the whole show so far a little bit. Then we'll talk Fresh Off the Boat, uh, Boy to Man, and The Goldbergs, A Chorus Live, before ending things out with Brooklyn Nine-Nine, uh, New Captain, and, and The Funeral. Uh, you're, you're, you're helping keeping me a little more mainstream here. This is good. What do you mean? How so? We're talking about network comedies. This is a good thing. Instead of all of my obscure show comedies that I love that nobody watches. Oh, okay. Well, I wish I would watch these shows, but I just don't know where to find them. So yeah, you're not alone. And this is something that's come up. It's been one of the great things about doing uh, a series, having a series of guest co-hosts come on is the number of people that have, have come on who are very well-versed in television and big fans of the medium and, and have fabulous taste and don't know what some of these shows are or have never seen them or have been meaning to get to them but haven't it's really high a lot of people are not watching um some of what were my favorite shows of the summer or are, are some of my most interesting new shows at least personally for me and it just shows how much tv there is out there um so yeah like ricky if you don't know where to find some of these shows how can networks expect a uh a regular media consumer to find them uh yeah right. well i think for me personally like i live in canada in montreal which is a mostly a french-speaking city and my comedies i usually pvr my comedies so what that means is it's not appointment viewing for me i can watch it like today tomorrow next week it doesn't really matter and sometimes i binge watch the shows so i don't think i have the channels of which these shows air on and therefore because i can't pvr them i'm not watching them i guess it can maybe stream them online i'm not entirely sure if that's even legal yeah, it depends so, on, you know, if you're going to Hulu, if you're going to these these other sites. Right, but, but we don't, we don't yeah. have Hulu in Canada. You don't have, wait, Canada no. doesn't have Hulu? No, dude. Wow, that's crazy. Well, speaking that I know of. of Hulu, I should mention, um, starting up next week is Casual, which is the, the new show uh, with Michaela Watkins and Frances Conroy and many other people on Hulu. Also coming uh, coming back next week is Jane the Virgin on the CW, and starting up will be Crazy Ex-Girlfriend on the CW. Uh, we do not get CW screeners, so I'm very excited about Jane coming back. I'm really looking forward to Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, and I hear very good things about Casual. Well, I'll talk about those next week. But for this week... Uh, Can you just what you just said? We do not get CW screeners? We do not get CW screeners. Someone's got to talk to CW. We don't even get CW in Canada. But we do get it. It's just the shows air on a different channel and a different network. So Yeah. Nope. It's, trust me. I've attempted and I'm attempting again. I try I try like every year. So maybe hopefully everybody think positive thoughts and happy screener or photo press options like thoughts out into the universe and maybe this year they will the 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 press uh materials gods will smile upon us but let's dive into these shows uh that aired this week as opposed to what's coming next week and i wanted to kick things off with uh the daily show with trevor noah i've seen at least three if not four the full week of this past uh show the past week's shows i should say with uh trevor noah and i thought they were pretty fun i think he's doing a good job as host there's a bit too much uh, of the um well but i'm from africa comedies like oh what is a phone um which i, I don't know it's just for me it's 
wasn't funny the first time. They keep going. They're trying to make it a bit. I get it. I, it seems like it is. Um, I, I just enjoy... I, do, do people actually think that he is, like, doesn't know things? Like, everybody knows that that's not the case, right? I, You know, it's funny because I was talking to, I think, Simon about this. And I was saying that nowadays I feel like when it comes to writers and, like, writing movies or TV shows and whatnot, uh, specifically comedy, I really feel like they're paying too much attention to what people are saying on the internet. And it's hurting writers. So who knows? Maybe they actually think this. I don't know. Like, I don't know. But it's it's a trend I've noticed lately. So so how is the show? Is it is it is it good? Yeah, it's fun. He's doing a good job. I like some of the new um, the the new correspondence that they they've brought in. They've they they were some really uh, interesting stuff. And I also really I've really liked the guests for the most part that he's brought on. I think they've been interesting guests. Um, his uh, he started with Kevin Hart, and then the second guest he had on was uh, the one of the founders and creators of a, a dating app, which she had worked at Tinder, was uh, I believe one of the instigating forces there, and then created this app Bumble, which um, is like Tinder except that um, the women, the woman who's whoever's involved, if it's two women, then either one, but if, or if it's two guys, then either one, but if it's a man and a woman, the woman has to make the first move on it, and the idea is to empower women to feel like they can make the first move, but also I, they were saying a lot of stuff like that. What I read between the lines is it's to avoid the creepy, creepy, creepy messages that anyone who's used any online dating knows women get infinitely more than men do infinitely is an exaggeration but not as much as some might think um but so so having that interest like wanting to bring on a guest like that as opposed to just a bunch of famous people i think is says uh, a lot of interesting things about what they want the show to be with uh with noah and um i thought it was a nice conversation i've also really to kind of tangent briefly i've also really been impressed with the guests that colbert has brought on to the late show that's one of the most interesting things uh, that's sort of come over his tenure now that he's had a little more time to settle into the role i i really like when these uh you know some of these shows are bringing in people more, with more interesting or more diverse things to discuss that, as opposed to just being you know having a new movie and being an entertaining famous person so uh th that that's really encouraging to me um it, it feels very similar to the other daily show but of course with this uh you know trevor noah's personality which he seems to be some, a bit having more fun with the audience, a bit cheekier um, and less uh, sarcastic, um, less acerbic maybe. Um, but again, it's only the first week, so we'll see. But he, he seems very comfortable behind the desk. And I, again, I really have, have very much enjoyed the new correspondence we've gotten. I They got to bring Jessica Williams out, hopefully soon. But I think they wanted to have um, a bunch of new faces for the first week of the show. So we'll see how things even out over the next, you know, you know, few months, six months, a year, whatever, um, you know, what the show might look or feel pretty different, uh, you know, when they feel a little more willing to take risks. Um, but for right now, he's, I think he's doing a good job. So they're playing it safe. Still have, they still haven't found their footing. No, and he's, I, I, no? They, they, I think they found, I think they're, they're very comfortable. Um, okay. they're, they're, but they're not anybody who expected the show to be very different with a different host. That's, that's not the case because they have, there's a lot of, uh, the same behind the scenes personnel involved. Right. So it's, it's a smooth changeover. Um, it would, you know, I, I think they're doing a good job and, you know, but maybe it'd be interesting to see if they are going, if they want to take the show in a new direction or take different risks or investigate new topics, 
that's not something that they're doing now. That might be something that they feel that they can do six months down the line. But I, again, I don't know if they're interested in that. Um, but it doesn't really feel like they're straining at feeling like they need to be Jon Stewart, which is good. Um, but yeah, I don't know if it's appointment viewing for me, but I've enjoyed my time with this past week. Fair enough. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Okay, next up is the review finale conspiracy theory, which is fantastic. Such a wonderful <laughs> culmination to the season. I know you're not the biggest review fan, uh, Ricky, but I absolutely am. Okay, so here's the thing. So I've watched a few episodes of Review, and I don't know, maybe I just watched the wrong episodes first. I'm not entirely sure. I watched like a bit of season one. I love the last episode of season one, by the way, mm -hmm. because the last episode of season one, it really focuses on his relationship with his, with his wife and his son. And I actually love those two characters. Like, I, I just like, it felt a like the thing about the show was when I went in to watch the show for the very first time, I thought that he was actually putting himself in real dangerous situations but no it's clearly scripted <laughs> oh, oh you, so so the you thought that the character was sort of a reality show okay and that's what cooper said last week when he was guest hosting he thought that it actually the show within the show he thought was the show in the same way right and so it's not i i like the show i just don't find myself laughing out loud but i do like I do think it's well written. Like, I, I think it's scripted well. It's just, I don't know. It's just not hitting the spot for me. But again, I haven't seen season two. Okay. No, it, it's, so, it's a, I, you know, I think it's just such a wonderful show. But what it does is it absolutely, yeah, yes, there are laugh out loud funny moments when you have one of the things he did this season. I keep kind of going back to this as just sort of a touch point uh, or an example of the kind of humor the show is very happy to engage in. One of the things that he did is um, somebody, asked him to review letting a magic eight ball make all your choices for you. So he wandered around for that segment of the episode um, with a magic eight ball in a fanny pack in on, like at his waist. And he would reach in into the fanny pack and shake it to see, you know, what the magic eight ball was. So anytime he had to like, which direction should I go? Should I take a left or a right? And he would, you know, have, you know, do that. But what it would, it amounted to was constant masturbation sight gags. Because that's what it looks like he's doing when he's reaching into his fanny pack. Um, and it, the show is quite happy to have this, like, kind of chipper walking around. And then, like, like somebody drops a bunch of papers. And he says, hmm, should I help this person with their papers? And reaches, appears to reach into his pants as this person, like, looks for help from this guy who just bumped into him. Like, it's absolutely, completely ridiculous and silly in that in that sequence. And then it culminates in somebody getting beat, like basically getting assaulted and could get killed. And should he help? And it says, ask again. So he's just standing there while this guy is getting the crap beat out of him, not helping and not doing anything because he's shaking the magic eight ball again because it keeps telling him to ask again later. Like so, so this is the kind of show that this is. It can be silly and ridiculous, and it can also be very dark and very rooted in uh, the kind of person that that Forrest is that he will do these things that he will commit to not helping someone who's getting beat and eventually in this episode it's off screen but he is asked to review murdering someone and it's a thing that happens this season there's a gunfire and he's severely traumatized for the last few episodes the way the whole season culminates is, is, is fantastic and 
yeah, I, 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 I theorize for you, Ricky, it might not be as laugh out loud funny as as you might like, but as a character study, uh, as you know, because you say you like the the wife and the son characters, and that has been a real that's a real arc throughout both se- seasons of the show, and this season, the second season, has much more with his father and with his like assistants and some of these other characters as well, watching how their lives. Uh, get wrapped up in all of this as well. But um, yeah, it, it might just, be one to, for you to start at the beginning of, though, at some point. Well, I've watched I've watched most of season one. I just feel like it's such a strange show. Like, And again, I did like the season finale of season one. I actually watched the first episode of season two. Mm-hmm. But it's it's such a strange show because he's so clueless. But a man in that position who's the host of a television show like that wouldn't be as clueless as he is in the show. And so you say it's an interesting character study, but I'm like, what character? Because I don't buy into this character. I buy it more into the people that surround them, the extras and the family, as opposed to him. Like, it's such a weird show, so I don't know what to make of it. I don't think it's a bad show by any stretch of the imagination. I think it's fascinating. It's, it's clearly unlike anything on television. Um, I will eventually watch season two, and Simon tells me that it gets better and better, and it gets crazier and crazier. Yeah, yeah. No, he's... The kind of person who would do what he does is someone who's very invested in self-delusion, uh, who wants to believe all of these things are true and is, has invested further and further into this show as being what defines him and what sets him apart and what gives him purpose in his life. And if he doesn't have the show, what is he? And so he will just commit more and more. And like I keep going back to uh, when she was our uh, on the show, when she get guest co-hosted with me, Emily Stevens. referenced Forrest McNeil as the Walter White of comedy. And I absolutely agree. This is a person who just keeps going deeper and deeper when he should get some perspective and walk away and stop destroying everyone's lives. But he can't do that. Um, So yeah, that's the kind of, yeah. See, I think I would be more fascinated if the character in the show was doing it because he was addicted to it. Oh, he totally is. Well, he does, but it's sort of like in this naive, sort of clueless way. I mean, if he was a bit more menacing and realized what his actions are having and how they're affecting everyone around him, but he doesn't really kind of see or understand what it's doing to his family, for example. I don't know, from what I've seen. So maybe it's a bit more Walter White. I look forward to your thoughts um, when... If you if you do sit down with season two and be on the first episode, I do. I look forward to your thoughts because, um, yeah, I think, yeah, I, I'll just put it there. Otherwise, I'm going to start repeating myself and we're still the second show of the week. So I'm going to move on to the Rick and Morty finale, the wedding squanchers. And uh, I really like the way that this season wrapped up. It's been a super strong season for Rick and Morty. And uh, the this episode you think it's going to be about Rick Hades weddings and then it it is that, but it's also turns into this other, you know, we find out that Rick is an intergalactic, like fugitive and like, there's all this dark stuff that's implied in his, or said stated in his, his background, uh, his backstory that we haven't really known until this episode. Uh, I thought that was really fun. The, the wedding was fun. The reveal of one of Summer's friends actually being an intergalactic undercover cop, um, that worked really well. And uh, then having it come down to the, the family on the run and Rick, you know, is he going to sacrifice his freedom so that his family can go home, uh, go back to earth and, and have a stable and hopefully happy life. Um, I, I think that that is, you know, that, that has the appropriate amount of pathos with the, without sacrificing character. I think it works really well. And then the way that they just completely changed the universe of the show, earth finds out about aliens in this finale and 
it will not the show will be you know, will never be the same again unless they reset the t- the timeline or somehow they can't go back from this and what seeing what they're going to change and how that will shape the next season is really intriguing to me so I, I thought this worked on all levels like i said it's been a fantastic second season for rick and morty and i'm so glad that um that they kicked into a new gear for the second season because i like season one but i think season two has just been much better and much more consistent throughout um now remind me are you a rick and morty fan have you seen other parts of this season or is this another show that uh, is outside of your 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 usual bubble this is actually a show in which you told me not to watch because you said it wasn't very good back in season one. So I never yep. watched Rick and Morty. And then all of a sudden our games editor, Mike Werby, was talking about how much he loved the show. And it was his favorite show of all time. Mm-hmm. And it was not of all time, but of the year. Yeah. And it was like, damn, because I remember for the television said not to watch it way back in season one. <laughs> so yep. on you, Kate. Well, I didn't like the beginning of the season. I didn't like season one. I didn't. I, I had issues with it, but they really kind of worked out the kinks of the course of the first season and then by the end of the first season it was it, it had really come together in a much better way and then they started off season two they picked up right where they had left off tonally really finding a good fit for all the characters and then just you know kept going from there so yeah i would say i mean like like i said not not my jam at the beginning of season one really wasn't a fan of of the show episode to episode but mm-hmm. The way that it, like, like, there would always be something that I liked about an episode, but more that was frustrating to me than, you know, kind of hurting the overall feel. The way that, for me, I had trouble with uh, BoJack Horseman, season one, as a comedy. I liked it much more as a drama. Um, and it really, you know, got more and more interesting. And then by the end of the season, it felt like it really knew what it was. And then season two was just, like, fantastic for BoJack. Yeah, it's on my list of things to watch. Like I'm going to binge watch it because I've pretty much caught up with most of the shows that I want to watch. Mm-hmm. So it's on my list. I'm going to do it. I mean, Bojack was one of my favorite shows of the year. So yeah, I think I think you'll really like Rick and Morty when you, when you get a chance to to sit down with it. And you may like season season one, um, but I definitely season two. I think is is really been really really very strong. This is going to be an insane year, by the way, Rick. For uh, the the end of the year TV, is it for you? Because oh, I know boy. it will be for me. Oh, God. Um, I already have a list of 20 shows I want to nominate. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm already dreading trying to come up with the list of our 20 best shows of 2015, like the staff-wide list. It's going to be nonsense. I mean, there's just way too much to watch. Anyone who says there's not a lot of good TV to watch is living on a different planet and or doesn't have cable and or something. Because I understand that Mad Men is gone and Breaking Bad, but there's so many good shows. There's so many amazing shows. And and like and, you and, said earlier about review, and there's so many very distinct and unique experiences. Like there's a lot of the same kind of thing out there, especially in, on the new network shows. Yes. But there's also a lot of really beautifully distinct and unique television out there too. Yeah. And, and I, I kind of feel like there's always been a lot of TV shows, right? And mm-hmm. like, but when you think back on the 90s and the 80s, I mean, there was stuff like, I guess, Dynasty or Twin Peaks, Miami Vice. There was specific shows that were conversation pieces. You watch a show and the next day you're talking to your family about it over dinner and or at the office, at work and or with your friends. But there was very few, at least I think. Uh, Nowadays, I feel like there's just so many shows you just want to talk about like right away, like the very next day. And so everyone feels this pressure to catch up. Because mm-hmm. it's like, oh, have you seen The Leftovers? Let's talk about it. We're going to talk about it at the end of the show. And there's so much to talk about. And if you haven't seen the first episode, you're going to be lost. Yeah. So, so it's, a good, it's a good problem to have. Yeah, definitely. 
what we have to do is we have to find a way to slow down time and to stop. <laughs> Give me a time, Turner. I need to sleep so I can watch the five shows that air at the same time on Sundays that all just started out this week. Um, well, the last finale for this week in comedy is Married, which I think went out very strongly. Um, I liked uh, Maria Thayer showed up a couple of the places this week on my TV, but uh, I enjoyed her. Um, in gymnastics, I always like when she pops up. And then the waiter is having that sort of dream kind of sequence uh, that comes back a couple times. I really like that they explored that more and really got into where Russ is um, emotionally. I like that they straight up ad addressed his his job and how that has changed his uh, relationship with his family and with Lena and how like the risks he can take or, or you know, just watching him step away from a career opportunity that he would love to take because he can't because he's they've they've done the thing where he follows his passion and they have no money and it that was season one and it didn't work they were constantly stressed out and lena had to go back to work at a job that she hated um and so when he you know i like that they address it in this finale where all season it seems like it hasn't been that big a sacrifice and this season in the, in the finale they really point to no he really really would love to take this other job but there's no security there's no health insurance and so he can't and it's screwing him up a bit uh, i like that they address that and they did show that is not just like they everything's magically fixed but that, that's a choice that they made as a family that he and Lena made for their family. And uh, I also like the way that they tied that in with uh, farmer Todd as a problem. I, I, that's such a fan fantastic way to, to give Brett Gellman more to do and really engage that character, involve that character. And I also like what we get with uh, him and uh, with the Shep character with Paul Reiser. Again, seeing that character get more shading and, you know, watching the, the friendship start to develop with Shep and uh, the Gellman character also has been, you know, a really nice, you know, part of these last two episodes. And then also just in general, watching that character's place amongst the group and on the show more since they had uh, basically Jenny Slate's too busy to do the show now. So they had that character, Jess, really decline in prominence. I think that's been uh, a strong element of this second season. And I thought it came together really nicely in the finale. Uh, and I, I don't know if it's going to get a season three, but I certainly enjoyed it. Are you have you seen any married? No, I do not even know what Married is. So, <laughs> FX uh, comedy with, uh, with with Nat Faxon and uh, and Judy Greer as a married couple with with uh, I should know this three kids, two kids, at least two, maybe three. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's but it's it's had a solid second season um, with some of the same strengths, but some different strengths, different weaknesses than the first season. But definitely an enjoyable. Um, usually half hour this week hour, but um, I will move swiftly on because we still have a lot of TV to talk about. And I wanted to mention Life in Pieces, a CBS pilot that I had not gotten, comedy pilot that I hadn't gotten to previously. Um, this has a very talented cast. Um, I mean, it's got you've got Betsy Brandt in there. You've got Diane Weist. You've got just like a ridiculous number of, of talented people. And the, the, the setup for it is that each, it's like this modern family type of um extended family um and each of the si the siblings in this and adult siblings gets like fi a five minute sort of scene and then they're the the final scene like brings all the characters together so it's like each act of the instead of splitting the different line uh storylines throughout the episode each act is going to be 
focus on different characters who then intersect at various points. And I thought it was um, better than I was expecting, better than I had heard from people, but uh, but certainly uh, not. I wasn't laughing, and parts of it uh, certainly were not very successful. This is a very talented cast, but it, again, it all comes down to writing. And I, in again, like we were saying, in a very busy TV landscape, I don't, I will not be making time for this one. If I hear that it gets really good and that they start to really play with the format and do some interesting and creative things with that different setup, then I'll be much more likely to tune back in. And I'm very glad that that these people are all getting a network paycheck because good for them because they're they're all talented actors. I've enjoyed in other things, but uh, yeah, I, I I didn't really connect with this the way I would need to to set a, a you know a PBR like a season recording, and uh, you know. Yay, Thomas Sadowski's not on the newsroom anymore. He's getting paid to do things other than the newsroom. That makes me happy. Um, but but yeah, there's too much other TV. Um, so for me, I will be passing on Life in Pieces fondly. You know, I get what people might like it, but I'm going to pass on Life in, Life in Pieces, at least for the while, um, because I should be watching You're the Worst. And all I'm going to say about it is that it's still great, and I'm sure I'll talk more about it next week. But you haven't seen it. And so I want to get to the shows you have seen, including The Muppets. What did you think of uh, Pig Girls Don't Cry, which was the pilot, but then also this week's episode, Hostile Makeover with Josh Groban? Oh, boy, The Muppets. Man, people seem to hate The Muppets. I'm right? Not, yeah, I'm not offended by The Muppets. I don't hate The Muppets. I don't like The Muppets. But I also had a huge problem with the actual movie. My problem with the movie was I felt like I focused too much on the human characters and forgot about the actual Muppets. And this show is completely different. Like, it's actually focused on the Muppets and specifically the relationship with Kermit the Frog and Miss Piggy. And, of course, uh, Fozzie Bear has his own girlfriend. And that's all good. But the problem with the Muppets is it's just not funny. And in the last episode, we have a cameo appearance from Lawrence Fishburne. And he actually tells Kermit the Frog, your show sucks. And I couldn't help but agree. (laughs) I kind of feel like that's what people think of the Muppets because everyone I know hates the new show. I don't hate it. I'm just, and I know it's only two episodes in, and usually I give a, a comedy at least five or six episodes, right? But it's not funny, and that's a huge problem. And I, I don't necessarily want them to do the exact same thing they did in the original show. Like I do like the fact that they're making these changes, but I don't know. It's not funny. I'm not impressed with the guests. I, I understand why they they chose someone like Josh Groban, for example, because he has a huge fan base. And I guess you're tapping into a specific demographic. And he's always very game, too. He'll go for it. You know what the problem with the show is? It's it's I think Miss Piggy like Miss Piggy's always been like that. She's always been sort of like overprotective and jealous and egocentric and vain and so on and so forth. But it doesn't work when Kermit the Frog doesn't like her anymore because that's the whole reason why we like Piggy because Kermit loves her. Like, they are in love and he loves her despite the fact that she has a lot of negative, um, like, traits, personality traits, right? And I would love to see someone like Cookie Lyons on this show to go head-to-head with Miss Piggy. I think that would be amazing. Like, someone's got to stand up to Miss Piggy. And I like <laughs> the fact that they had Elizabeth Banks in the first episode because, first of all, I love her. She's a great actress. And I liked everything that revolved around her but it's just not doing it for me. But I'm not offended and I don't hate it. I think people are being a little too harsh and critical on the show because it does have its moments. And um, I think the problem is it's just it's just not funny. And it is a comedy. So, yeah, what do you say? I'm expecting there to be quite a bit of an arc with Piggy and with Kermit this season. I think uh, people who are complaining that they don't feel like their normal selves 
um i are i think they're that, that's correct but i think that's intentionally so because they've broken up and not you know not recently not like it didn't just happen but recently enough that they're still kind of like adjusting and you know reassessing because talk about a long-term couple um so i think what i'm expecting is is that yes piggy feels harsher and she she's uh you know she doesn't have that affection for for kermit kind of curbing some of her um her bad habits or her tendencies her you know more selfish tendencies um but i think that i think that they're going to explore that and and as they i assume they're going to do some sort of will they won't they with them and kind of take them on a bit of a journey over the the season um i i expect to see that shape and morph over the season so like I can see why people have an issue with that, but I think that's intentional and I, I'm willing to give them some, some space to explore that. Yeah. We'll see what happens. I mean, it's still too early because it's only been two episodes, right? So let's hope for the best, but yeah, get cookie lines in that show, man. <laughs> telling you, it's going to be awesome. Well, you know who else they could get, of course, is uh, just bring over uh, Constance Wu from Fresh Off the Boat because uh, that's a conversation I would also like to see. Let's talk about the, of that uh, season. They had the family business trip was the first episode, and then this week was Boy to Man, and I thought they were both very strong episodes. What did you think? It's it's it's, it's interesting because I I have okay Fresh Off the Boat and the Goldbergs, right? The thing about the Goldbergs is I find myself laughing louder when I watch the Goldbergs, but I like the characters more on Fresh Off the Boat. And I love the references to 90s hip-hop. I mean, any TV episode that ends with nothing but a G thing, which is like my favorite song of all time, is like I'm one over, right? Like I love that song. It's my jam from when I was in high school. And, you know, I love that kid. I totally relate to that kid in some ways. I, I actually like... This specific episode, for so many reasons, I like the conversation between the two moms and how they're talking about, you know, even though you have kids, you still have to be your, the, your, your, your children's friends, right? Like, some parents just don't understand that. Like, it's not a bad thing to still have some sort of, like, re- friendship relationship with your kids. And it can really open up your relationship with the kids. And I like that whole exchange between the two moms and having two women, women from two different cultures with two different points of view, how to raise families. I like everything that takes place in high school. I, um, I like everything about the show. Actually. I love the soundtrack. I love the opening with boys to men. I love when the dad and the three sons are singing the boys to men song over dinner. I thought that was amazing. I love how annoyed the mom is. She's just, She's just so much fun to watch. I love these. I love the fact that we have so many interesting female leads, characters in shows these days, like to the point where I think they're overshadowing and overpowering all the men. And it's fantastic to watch. And I love the sequence in which he's sitting or actually he's lying on his bed and he's daydreaming where he's in the music video for Boys to Men. Um, I like the way it ends. I like everything about this episode. I honestly like think the show is pretty damn good. Yeah, it's it's a really reliable show, and they they have they know those characters and they know that time, like really capturing what you know, the, like the the correct boys to men song, the correct you know, like ending with nothing but a G thing. Like they, it's not just um, well, what are the the songs we can get the rights to easily, and you know it, it feels very much of a time and place um, while still being very accessible, at least from what I can tell, to people who yeah, did you know, grow up in the 90s. 
the difference between Fresh Off the Boat and the Goldbergs is I kind of feel like, you know, even with the Goldbergs, you do, you do get those video journals of him when he's a kid, right? So you know he was a big fan of, say, whatever movie he's talking about and or whatever song he's referencing. But the script seems written and designed has references to a specific movie. For example, one of my favorite episodes was the Ferris Bueller's Day Off episode, right? But the whole episode was about the movie. Whereas Fresh Off the Boat, it really feels personal. Like, it feels like whoever wrote the show really experienced the very same situations that we see these characters in in the show. So it feels more natural. It feels more personal. And that is, I think, the key difference between the two shows. But at the same time, I do find myself laughing for whatever reason more when watching the Goldbergs. But maybe it's just because the 80s is the kind of decade that you can poke so much fun at. Whereas the 90s was just a little bit too serious. <laughs> I mean, it was like, like, even with music and stuff, it was like all about hip hop and Kurt Cobain. Um, but yeah, the, the little kid, when he's, when he's speed walking with the moms, I mean, that was so adorable. How could you not like that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, let's, let's move on to Goldberg's because I wanted to ask you, wh- where were where the laugh out loud moments for you in A Chorus Lie? Was there a particular storyline that you connected to more? Or was it just like the whole, like the way it all came together? Okay, well, this episode wasn't necessarily one of the best episodes of the Goldbergs in terms of comedy. Like, it wasn't really funny. But what I do like about this episode is the way it addresses the problems that this teenage boy is having in terms of him going through puberty and how everyone around him is actually trying to help him out, even though they're kind of really annoying, like the way the mom is trying to, like, hide his zits and or whatnot, or the way she actually calls him and his friends out on their body odor and or their change of voice. And... I, I actually, I like the fact that there's like this reference to Millie Vanilli and then he enters like a school musical and then the mom wants them to actually lip sync the musical. And then at the end of the episode, she actually changes her mind because clearly that's not what you want your kids to do. I like the whole, I don't know, like I like the dynamic, despite the fact that the mom is so overbearing sometimes, so annoying, she is in some ways, like the, 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 the center and the heart of the show. Like I would say she's I, absolutely the, she the is, center yeah, of the like show. It, yeah. Totally. Take her. Cause a lot of people don't like the show because of her character. But if you take her, like I would love to see them direct an episode and completely remove her character to see how tonally different the show will be. And yeah. So I don't know. I, the problem with this episode was I didn't like anything that revolved around Erica and her looking for a date to, what was it, the prom and or the dance? Yeah, homecoming. Um, yeah, something like that. Yeah, they need to do something else with her character. Like, even, even um, what's his face? Is it Barry? How yes. do I forget his name? Was it Barry? Um, like, when, like, way back in season one, I just really hated this character. But they've really found ways to make him interesting. And his, he's grown as a, as a person, as a character, uh, over the years. This is, like, season three. And I, I, I haven't seen any changes with Erica whatsoever. She's still the exact same character she was in the pilot episode. And so that's my big problem with the Goldbergs. Like, she's just not very interesting. Okay. She's only interesting unless she's helping out one of her family members. But her herself, I mean, her best friend's more interesting than she is. Okay. So she's been more um, an agent of change or action in for other people as opposed to uh like maybe she needs to be more thought out of who give given more specificity i mean if you think of all of the erica storylines they all revolve around her trying to get a date and or her 
somehow being involved in, I don't know, some party that her best friend throws and or her Barry has a party and she gets involved somehow. And I don't know, they're not really doing anything with her character. So they need to do something with her character and or just remove her character, send her off to college already. Okay. I, I, for this episode, because I've, I've, I've seen like maybe two episodes, because I know I watched the pilot because I watched all the pilots, the network pilots, I should say. Um, mm-hmm. And I've, I think I've seen an episode here or there. But so this is one of the few episodes I have seen. I did like it. I enjoyed it. Um, and having it be a chorus line is a nice, you know, I don't, don't know if high schools really do a chorus line, but um, like there are certain shows that high schools always do. Um, mm-hmm. but I thought it was, it was a nice choice. Uh, and maybe also I think was probably a better timely, like for the eighties, maybe a better choice than it would be if it was set now. So you didn't see the risky business episode. No, I haven't. I have not seen the risky business. Episode. Yeah. I really love that episode. Like I love risky business, the movie, but that episode really spoke to me. I thought that was an amazing episode. Really fun. Uh, that episode, Erica's actually interesting. Okay. Uh, but again, it, she's interesting because her friend tags along throughout the whole entire episode. And she's interesting because her friend sort of is adopted for like a weekend by Erica's mom, like Miss mm-hmm. Goldberg. She sort of adopts her for a weekend and changes her life completely. And and then uh, Erica's best friend kind of says, hey, your mom's actually not that bad. She's actually amazing. And so they had this whole different view of their parents because of the best friend. So that episode is a lot better. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll have to check that one out then. Uh, but I did like this episode. I like, um, I mean, when McClendon Covey uh, is fantastic as the mom. And uh, and, and I also really liked Anna Gasteyer as, the, <laughs> as the, the director of the musical or the chorus teacher. That was, I thought, fantastic. Um, and I mean, how could you not love that Christian Slater impression? Greetings and salutations. I mean, it's delightful. Um, but yeah, except he looked a lot like John Cusack from Say Anything. Yeah, but I mean, if you're looking at the costuming there, how different is it really? Not really. It's oh. not. It's not very different. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it works. Um, but yeah, like you said earlier, I'm much more connected with the the characters on Fresh Off the Boat, um, whereas I'm. Uh, like with with the Goldbergs, it more is like I enjoy this bit or I enjoy that like reference. Um, but that also mm-hmm. could easily just be because I've seen all of Fresh Off the Boat and I've seen very little of the Goldbergs, so that's probably not necessarily a fair assessment for me personally to be making. But I did enjoy my time with this episode. However, I want to know what you think. I want to move on to our last show of our week in comedy because I want to know what you think of Brooklyn Nine Nine's uh, new captain, <laughs> them bringing in the Vulture. Um, as well, so the first episode was New Captain, and then this week was the funeral. Um, how do you think they're handling, you know, sort of the shakeups from last the last season finale? Um, I I'm not entirely sure. I mean, here's the thing about this episode: I, I actually found myself laughing out loud throughout this episode, especially towards the end when they all get drunk and they all have to do sort of like a speech. I thought that was so incredibly funny. I do like the fact that Santiago and Jake are now a couple because they have to eventually change these characters. You can't just have this whole like going back and forth, like are they interested, are they not interested type of thing, which they did for like almost two full seasons. So it's good to see them shake things up and change things. Do I want him as a captain? Look, I think it's good to have a protagonist in the show. And But I mean, at the center of the station, like are we not missing like one of our favorite characters because he has so little screen time now because we have a new captain in the nine nine i don't know what do you think well i think it's good like you said that they're changing things up i think that um and and addressing like just finally going in like we doing it in season three as opposed to season like five or six with peralta and santiago i think that's good um i also i mean come on name me your sex tape <gasps> name of my sex tape fantastic 
delightful. Um, and I think it's also good that they're shaking things up with, with Holt as well. So as much as we miss him at the nine, nine, having that uh, as a point of contention and, uh, you know, the the narrative momentum of how are they going to get him back as captain? Cause you know, that's going to happen, but what path are they going to take to get there? And, you know, kind of shaking up the dynamics for a while. I think, I think it's a good thing. Um, I like that they're willing to take that risk. Um, and also, I mean, giving Andre Brower, Brower different, but you know, similar enough that it's in character kind of stuff to do is, is very good. And even just like Chelsea Peretti, again, putting in her different atmosphere, giving her different people who aren't inured to her craziness, um, I think is, uh, is very good as well. Like let it, that well, opens up a lot of opportunities for them. But, but the, here's the thing is the highlight of this episode. And I would say 90% of Brooklyn, Brooklyn nine, nine episodes is Andre Brower and Terry Crews. And mm-hmm. the same thing happens once again this week. Like when they get drunk in the bar, not stop laughing. I was like, yeah, I could see these two dudes drunk every single Sunday on my TV. You know what I mean? <laughs> Especially when all I have is like zombies to look at. <laughs> like, yes, I need the comedy. Um, so we'll see what happens. But I, they got to get him back as the captain, like I would say like midway through the season. They, they can't wait till the very end of the season. I don't think. I, I don't think, I would be surprised if it took a full 22. I think people happen. are going to get a little fed up with the vulture. Oh yeah, no, I I don't expect the vulture to last that long, but I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if they had a series of captains, um, that lasted you know one episode or three episodes or five episodes, and then eventually, uh, <laughs> the um, uh, the nemesis for Holt, uh, the Kira Sedgwick character, finally just mm-hmm. puts Holt back there because no one else can handle like can last. I could see that being what happens. Um, I, I and yes, uh, Terry Crews and um, Andre Barr are, are fantastic, but I really do think it's a very deep bench. I think there isn't a weak player there, and that's part of what makes this show work so well. It's that every single person makes that makes that show come together, and because they don't have like a weaker, you know, series of characters that they feel compelled to, you know, kind of cram into different storylines that lets them have a lot more flexibility that lets them, you know, send Terry Crews and Andre Brower to the bar to (laughs) get drunk off of one drink. Um, You know, that that lets them do that because they know the other storylines can be handled by, you know, by Stephanie Beatrice and by, by like all these, these other very talented cast members. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just funny because we haven't seen much of Scully or Hitchcock yet. No, it's Because true. a lot of the episodes focus outside of the police station. Mm-hmm. So although a lot of these characters are getting more screen time and a lot more to do, we're still losing out on some of our favorites. Yeah. So it's interesting. But Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I mean, three seasons in, I think this is actually starting a lot stronger than season two. And I've been a fan of the show since the beginning. My the, the season, season one is still the better season, in my opinion. Uh, season two had its problems. But so far, it's starting really good. So I'm really excited. And it's, I think, the best comedy to watch on Sunday night. Well, what wins your week in comedy, Ricky? Wow. Um, that is tough, but I'm going to give it to Brooklyn Nine-Nine just because I love watching Terry Crews and Andre Brower get drunk on screen. And once again, one last time, hopefully not ever, it has not been picked up for season three. Based on um, some things Andy Daly has been saying, I'm not actually expecting it to get picked up for season three, which makes me sad. But at least one more time, review uh, the the review award goes to review conspiracy theory, fantastic finale, um, and tip of the hat to everyone involved over there because that's what a show. Very glad that it that I got to spend at least two seasons, and I hope I get to spend at least one more with them. Um, but for now, we'll take a break and we'll come back with our week in genre. Rock your body, yeah. Rock your body, right? 
This week in genre, I'm going to preview American Horror Story Hotel, talk a little bit about Vixen, which wrapped up its uh, web series, I guess, webisode season. I, it's season. It's run on CW Seed. Then talk briefly about Steven Universe, When It Rains, The Shield premiere, Laws of Nature, Doctor Who, Under the Lake. And then, of course, Ricky and I will talk about Scream Queens, Chainsaw, Heroes Are Born, Under the Mask. And then we'll round things out with a little Gotham talk, um, Knock Knock, and The Last Laugh. Uh, but first up is the American Horror Story hotel uh premiere which uh they did send to us um and i got a chance to see just the first episode of of this series um or this season of the show and i really really wasn't a fan um i got about um 10 minutes maybe less than 10 minutes five minutes into it and was like i could be watching fargo right now because they had also very generously the lovely people at fx also sent four episodes of fargo and i only got to watch two of them because i had to spend an hour today that i intended to spend watching fargo watching american horror story hotel so that i could talk about it with all y'all and wow. um yeah that's not, that's not a good sign because usually american horror story starts off well and then slowly starts to fall apart yeah. you're telling me it starts off bad well i just i it's it was very distasteful to me some people may uh enjoy it but for me, like, first of all, let me just say a few positive things. It looks gorgeous. The hotel, they like built the hotel, which is a thing that nobody does, but they like full on built this hotel and it looks, it's like all art deco. It looks fabulous. Just the, like the set design and the costuming and everything. There's a lot of really just, it looks really pretty. Um, and the, the cast is ridiculous, but about like 10 minutes in, I'm watching a man get violently raped and I'm like, I don't want to be seeing this this is why is this here it's here to be shocking and so you can watch a terrible thing happen to a person i guess um and i just i it just kind of made me angry um well here's the thing i gotta ask you a question though because american horror story is known for pushing the boundaries and the envelope and shocking people and it's always gruesome but it is a horror tv series so what makes this rape scene different than all the terrible things we've seen in previous seasons I need there to be a reason that it's there. Okay. And it's so... not. They're they're there's they're pushing buttons to push buttons. Um there's there's a number of of disturbing and graphic tableaus that again I also connected to with horror cuz I'm not a horror person as anyone who's listened to this podcast should be well aware. So like I said, your mileage may vary. Uh your model may vary. But um for me I need to care about the characters so that way when something horrible is happening, I care about them. And, and or the, I feel like there's a reason I'm seeing what I'm seeing as opposed to 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 be titillating or to shock you or to say, look what we're willing to do here. So like last season when we had the House of Horrors uh, in, in uh, we would go up to, oh, my goodness, what is her name? That horrific 
a woman in New Orleans who had, like had a torture chamber for her slaves. Mm-hmm. It was horrific. But that reason we were seeing that is because it, we were introducing a character, and this was a character we were going to be spending the season with. Um, and to say, yeah, this is what this is. This world. This is this person. This is an evil person, and this is we're the setting of our of our show. And this, I didn't feel like was in there as a function of character. It was just sort of there to shock you. And like, I I could be it could be wrong. I could be that could be borne out in future episodes. But I'm not going to watch any future episodes because I was angry that they did this. They like assaulted me, like my senses with this without giving me a reason that I could hold on to for why I was seeing it. Mm-hmm. The best horror films, as we all know, are the horror films and or even TV shows that are horror TV shows that have something to say about the human condition, about us as people, about society and about problems in our, in our society. And the problem with American Horror Story is each and every single season, I end up liking the first, say, three or four, maybe even five episodes because stylistically it's beautiful to watch, like from everything from the set design to the lighting to the camera work. But I credit the director and or the cinematographer and or the composer, for example. Mm -hmm. But the problem with American Horror Story has always been writing the, the script. And the thing is, especially nowadays, when you have so many talented people working in the industry, you can produce a beautiful looking TV show with very little money. It all comes down to the script. If the script sucks, your TV show is not going to be good. Because no one can save a TV show from being bad if the script is is terrible, unless you're going to completely rewrite the script. And I mean, I can't wait to talk about Scream Queens. But yeah, the problem with American Horror Story is you got to do something more than just shock people, especially nowadays, because I've seen movies that are a lot more shocking than American Horror Story, but they're actually really good. And they have a lot to say about whatever topic they are addressing. And that's not the case with American Horror Story, which is a shame because I've I've tried my best to love the show. And I still think season two is a fantastic season of television. Like Asylum was amazing. But every single season after Asylum and even the first season I wasn't crazy about, it just falls apart. And now you're telling me that the first episode opens up and it's not just shocking and gruesome, but it's poorly scripted. That's not that's not exactly a selling point for me. Like, I don't know if I'm going to check in this season. Yeah, there's some pretty terrible dialogue that uh, Wes Bentley and uh, Chloe Sevigny are, are saddled with uh, at one point in this premiere, I just, where it's just sort of like, I know that Sevigny at least, right? I've seen her be very good in things before. And I really like Wes Bentley in like, his thing when he showed up and I saw his episodes last season um, as this like sort of mystical figure. Um, yeah, there's some not good dialogue that they're saddled with and and even just like in, aside from what they give them to say the way that some of the stuff is is set up i just i don't feel any purpose for some of the actions so yeah i would i'm not watching anymore american well, horror story hotel th- there is one big question which i'm sure your listeners are thinking too how is lady gaga i mean she's fun with what they give her to do um and they don't they 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 don't give her a huge range of stuff. And I don't know if that's because, you know, they want her to feel comfortable and just sort of play this very, um, it's a, it's a, she's not, she's not very mannered or anything. It's not like it's like a caricature or anything like that, but they just, they give her one mode for this premiere. Um, and sort of, she makes a big first impression and, uh, 
I think she's absolutely fine in the role and she has the presence that she needs to have for the character. She's, she's playing the owner of the hotel or the person who is like in charge of the hotel. And there's certainly um, something supernatural about her. Uh, I would, I would assume that just feels like it's fitting given the setting well, I, of this hotel. I think they've actually stated that in the marketing. Yeah. Um, so she does a good job with that. They don't really ask her for much more than that than to like be enigmatic and like eventually like, you know, evil or baddie or something like that. Um, I don't want to spoil anything for, for the people who will be checking in, in with it. Uh, and like I said, you've got Kathy Bates, you've got Sarah Paulson, you've got uh, Matt Bomer, who is having a lot of fun with parts of what he's given to do. Um, there's, there's just like a very talented cast here and I just don't like they, this is a show that just doesn't care about its victims at all. Um, and if I'm watching some, something bad happen to somebody, I, I should care about them or I should know why I shouldn't. And mm -hmm. that is not something that I was getting here. So I, I want to just move on. I don't have anything else to say. I don't want to just repeat myself a bunch, but if you do decide to watch, I, I would appreciate your thoughts because I'm sure you could give a much more cogent and, and helpful critique of this as a, a horror horror like expert than, than I can. But um, yeah. The, the only thing I'm going to say is that my biggest problem with specifically the last two seasons is I think there's a problem when each and every single character in the show is someone that you can absolutely dislike. Like they all be, end up becoming like terrible people. They can all murder someone. And so you don't know who to root for anymore. And so when you take away all of those characters that we start to root for, it just becomes like a big sort of display of gore and blood and everyone is a victim because everyone is also terrible. So you don't care about any of these people. That's like my biggest problem with the show. I mean, unlike a show like Hannibal, which is has gruesome as American Horror Story, but that in itself is a masterpiece. I mean, that's all about character. You know, it's all about the storylines and not just about setting up this gruesome act of murder. So I don't know. I'll, I'll check it out because I'm curious, but I'm not expecting much to be honest. Yeah. I wanted to mention Vixen, which wrapped up its like six mini episode, uh, webisode run this week. And this is the animated series that put it all together. You got about a half hour episode that was um, running on CW Seed. It features uh, Arrow, uh, so Oliver and and Barry, uh, the Flash in the in the half hour and does have those the voice actors you know from arrow and from flash you know when the when their characters appear um sort of tying in with them the the heroine is a character i believe from comics but i am not a comics person so i couldn't tell you yeah. um but uh i think the voice performance for her is just fine this was ended up being a bit underwhelming to me because i think it started really strong there was it's it just you dive in with an action set piece in the first minutes and you're like, okay, what's going on? What's going on? And that was very energetic and propulsive way to begin. And then, um, by the, you know, I was like, oh, this could actually be a really nice, like way to launch off a character. And then hopefully she'll show up at some point in the season of either flash or arrow. And we could really, you know, have this awesome female superhero in the ash, uh, the, the arrow and, and flash sort of universe, you know, on TV. But there was just too much after after a while. There's too much just kind of like stand and exposition at each other, and like there's not enough time to show things and really develop a history. So we have characters talk about things that happened and like show a flashback as they narrate it and that kind of a thing. Whereas it would be more interesting 
to actually dive in with this character rather than try to give a massive backstory in a half an hour um, in five minute chunks. So that's kind of disappointing because the thing about Vixen is she's not a popular character, but she's the first African female DC superhero Mm -hmm. to actually have her own comic book. And so she's actually sort of like a very important character in the world of comic books, specifically DC. And she's actually a really interesting character. Does, does the show take place in Africa? Part of it does. Um, okay. It's also in Detroit, uh, which is right. like her city. And and I think they do a good job with her. I like her and I feel like I have a sense of her after the end of these six episodes. But I think it was really hampered by the format. And I think it was also really hampered by trying to do what you should have spent like an hour and a half like movie like animated film kind of like you know mask of the phantasm or something trying Mm -hmm. to do with that character and fitting it into a half an hour in like five minute chunks so Mm -hmm. now we're this episode we're gonna you're gonna wake up in africa and we're gonna get five minutes that give you your you know reveal your backstory to you that you don't remember and um we're gonna have like mom told me this thing because we don't have enough time to have you somehow meet your mother and have her tell you know, like there's just I, that I put that down to just the writing and um, not maybe trying to bite bite off more than they could chew or just not rising above the limitations of the the structure. Um, but I do think, like you say, it's it's a very significant character. It's the first uh, like African female character, um, and well, ha- she she. She's also heavily tied into the Suicide Squad. And because we do have a Suicide Squad movie coming out, I guess they're trying to promote this character. Mm-hmm. Um, but so basically you're telling me that all six episodes amount to about, I would say, an hour and a half of, of viewing? No, no, no. All six episodes amount to a half hour. Total. What? 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 <laughs> yeah. It's six, like, five-minute episodes. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. I'm pretty sure I can squeeze it into my <laughs> schedule. Yeah, yeah. Imagine if every TV show was only 20 minutes long. Yeah. Well, speaking of, that's a fabulous segue into Steven Universe, which is, of course, about 11 minutes every week. This week uh, is when it rains. And I just, again, I'm just going to keep mentioning Steven Universe until more of our listeners check it out. So Steven Universe is wonderful. This week we got to see um, a previously villainous gem stripped of the things that make her a threat, like her, you know, like basically the cyborg kind of extensions on her limbs that make her more deadly um, experiencing rain for the first time. And she's stuck on earth and she can't get out. And so she's going to have to try to help them make sure the earth doesn't get destroyed because then she'll be destroyed. And so watching Steven explain rain to her is delightful and her experience rain. And then having that segue into like this revelation that the earth is going to be like, cracked open like a giant egg to create this doomsday sort of device thing they, they, they go from delightful and sweet and experiential to gearing back into like the uh the, the larger arc of the series and everything um and while it would be nice to get a bit more I, mean, I really do miss some of these like one-off kind of episodes that they do with certain characters and it's been a while since we had a song like that we had sadie song last week or the or two weeks ago maybe yes but it's been a while since we had like a sequence where we we got a character singing about something that they feel like it's been i, I i've been I'm, I'm missing my like pearl feels you know like there's some other like you nice nice to be to spend a little more time with garnet you know or amethyst it's really been much more about these other characters and steven recently but um but it's still just the fact that they can balance those so well and just continue to tell this this larger story in this case, so successfully, 10 minutes at a time, 
Um, I could just, I love Steven Universe and I hope more people check it out. The thing about this show is that there's 52 episodes and it's on the Cartoon Network, which I don't have here in Montreal. I, I'll have to research what, like, where it is online that you can legally watch it. Because I know I, I would be, I, I would be okay with purchasing the DVD, but I don't think they've even released the DVD. Yeah, they they may not have. Uh, they may have been too busy making the show to to get a DVD made. But um, but no, it is pretty fantastic. So uh, I know that there are certain things that that have been put up on YouTube. Um, I believe by Cartoon Network, like you can watch the pilot and that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it's it's pretty great. Aren't the creators somehow involved with uh, Adventure Time? Yeah, Rebecca Sugar, who's the creator of of Steam Universe, was one of the writers on Adventure Time. She wrote many of their songs. She wrote some of their best episodes, like the the Simon and Marcy episode. She wrote that one. Um, and so then after that is when she started full time developing Steven Universe. So yeah, it, it's very certain elements of the DNA and like the priorities of Adventure Time are absolutely present in Steven Universe as well. It's a good pedigree. Hey, man, I, I want to watch it. I mean, Adventure Time is like one of my favorite shows of all time. So that's pretty great. Well, next up is S.H.I.E.L.D., which had its premiere Laws of Nature. That was one of the more uh, reliable shows for me last season. It was fun watching it find a new gear and really click in, especially with certain of the cast changes and additions. Um, I think they did a pretty good job with this premiere. Um, I like what they the confidence that they give um, the Inhumans arc and the commitment to nope, Daisy's basically a superhero now. Um, she's going by Daisy instead of Sky. Just you know, like let's just move on. I think that works. Um, I like the the way that the team is kind of working together. I like that we don't have May. Um, that gives them a little bit more space to you know start the season off, kind of pick up from where we left off with the different parts of the um, you know of of the group and the way they've fractured or come together. I think that again, it's a very seamless beginning to the season. I also like that they give Fitz plenty of time to deal with um, or to really address the emotions of uh, of how Simmons being swallowed by the obelisk or whatever um, is messing with him and affecting him. And uh, it's nice to see him more actively engaged. I mean, Ian DeCassiker, um, I'm, I'm a big fan of his, of his from The Fades, which is a one-season show, like six episodes out there that listeners, if you like Ian DeCassiker as Fitz, you should watch the fades. He's really good um, as the lead in that show. Wait, he's in Shield. Yeah. What? Yeah. What? He's, he's, like, the, he's fades, the tech guy. The fade. The fades was like on my top five. Yeah. The year it aired, like I was like so heartbroken they didn't have a second season. That second season would have been amazing. It would have been amazing. Yeah. Wow. Okay, I did not know this. Yeah, he like, and that was one of the things that was so frustrating for me about season one when I was watching. It was like, you, the guy from the fades is right there, and you're giving him nothing to do. So getting him, you know, watching him get more to do in the second season, and then it looks like he'll get a bunch more this season as well. Um, certainly, they're giving a lot more um, emotional stuff to play, and he can totally handle it. So he's doing a good job. It's been really fun for me to watch other people sort of discover that he's actually a, a very good actor that they, that they haven't really given enough to do. Sorry, are you talking about like the twins? He's one of the twins. The what twins? Fitzsimmons? I don't know. It's been so long since they're I not watched twins. <laughs> they're well, they're siblings, right? No, and, no, just they're friends. Just, they're, they're, he he likes her. He asked her out and uh, or professed his love, I should say, when they were both about to die. Um, and uh, then it was like, and and that that has not progressed or whatever. But no, they're like. Okay. lifelong very good friends or like 
All right. Well, it's, Most of their I, career, hadn't yes. watched, I haven't watched a show since season one, but I did not recognize him. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So he's 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 given a lot more to do, which is nice. I like where they tease for what Simmons is dealing with. Um, I also like what we get uh, with uh, Palicki. Of course, she's one of the best additions to the show. And I also think Chloe Bennett has really just significantly improved. And they they they're using her better, and and she's really come into her own on as the, one of the significant one of the main leads of the show. So I think I think it came back solidly, um, even if it didn't blow me out of the water. Um, now but, you you keep using the word improve. Now yeah. is the show good? Because I do not remember it being good at all. You paused. I paused because I need because. Like we've been saying, there's so much really very good or great TV out there. This is not great TV, but it's very mm-hmm. fun. It's very like I would say it's good. It's fun. I enjoyed the time I spend with it. If it wasn't good, I don't think I would have watched it every week last year. Um, mm-hmm. And well, it's it's because some people watch it for review purposes, right? So yeah, the and thing I'm not is doing it I... that for that. Okay, right. Okay. I just, I, I, I always enjoy my time I spend with it. It's fun, you know, and I, and I like having, not everything needs to be super intense, introspective. Um, what does it all mean? Like, I, it's nice to just have some lighthearted, fun shows to watch as well. Um, I think it, I'm a big fan of just tonal balance in my TV viewing, which is why I'm always watching The Amazing Race, even if I'm not talking about it on the podcast, because it's, again, sort of nice to cleanse the palate with that kind of a show before I watch, you know, The Leftovers. Right, yeah. But but my question, my last question regard, in regards to uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. is, is it still really focused and concerned on setting up the cinematic Marvel Universe and no. or... No. Okay. No. So that's like, what I want to Yeah, like the... Basically, the first season is so much um, waiting for them to get to the the, the fall of Shield in um, what is that uh, Captain America two or whatever it is. Yeah, the Winter Soldier. Winter Soldier, yeah. And, and so one, and when that happens, then the show is like, okay, we can actually start doing our thing. Awesome, and it like the show kicks into a different gear, and then um, that then a couple other things happen. Like it, then it starts moving they can be on the run they can that really puts more constriction uh more more constraints on them and what they can do and that works a lot better for this team than having a you know just kind of gallivanting across the world with no impediments does not work uh for the show so the way that they developed it has worked well and um they're doing the inhumans thing right now which is as i understand it not really addressed at all in the in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I'm sure mm-hmm. like it will be at a certain point, but like it, they they don't feel as beholden to what's going on because they have enough going on on their own level. Right. Okay. The last show I'm going to mention here before I get let you talk a bit is Doctor Who Under the Lake. Life has intervened, so my Doctor Who reviews have not been coming out the way that I want them to, as like as timely as I want them to. Hopefully, that will change. And I'll be back on schedule for this week's episode. But I really did like this week, this past week's episode, Under the Lake. It's kind of a ghost story. It's a base under siege, which is a, a genre or a mode of Doctor Who that the show is very confident with. I like this as a part one of an, as another two-parter. And I think it really works very well in that capacity. I'm much more interested in this two-parter than I was in the first two-parter of the season. And uh, just having... I know a lot of people love Missy, but I'm much more interested in this group of characters than I and in the rapport between them than I was in with with Missy and Davros. Once it became clear that it was just another Dalek thing, 
in the first two-parter of the season. So uh, very atmospheric, some nice uh, effects things, some some nice twists that didn't feel as painfully um, last-second reveal-y, retcon-y. Like, it feels more organic, uh, so far at least. So hopefully they can stick the landing with this two-parter. Because if it, there's a lot of two-parters this season. If it all becomes, like, interesting setup completely <laughs> collapse like a flan in the cupboard in the uh the, the payoff in part two that's gonna get tiresome but uh i'm much more intrigued by this first part than i was the first first part of the season we'll see hopefully they can pay it off but let's move from ghosts in doctor who to a chainsaw wielding maniac in scream queens what are you thinking of this uh of this show so far ricky I'm actually loving Scream Queens, and I was talking to your former co-host, Simon Howell, about Scream Queens, and I'm so glad that he actually is on board, too, and he loves this show, because I just think this show is fun, and it's the most fun thing that Ryan Murphy's involved with right now. I think this is the kind of thing that Ryan Murphy should be doing, and forget about American Horror Story at the moment. It's like, it's just great. I love, like, I'm a huge fan of horror films, and I love the way it blends comedy and horror, and I think the episode Chainsaw really does a good job in avoiding the mean-spirited tone of the first two episodes, like the two-parter, because there were moments during the, the, the season premiere, like the two-parter, in which I was a little bothered by like some of the humor. Uh, not so much as some people are. Like Some people really just like absolutely hate the show, which I completely understand. But um, I think this episode just does a better job with the comedy, I think. And I think there's less offensive jokes in this episode. And um, I love the visual references to movies. And for example, like my favorite scene in this episode is clearly the scene in which Chad, is it Chad? Yeah. I always have to try to remember their names here. Um, Him and his buddies head out with, baseball bats and they want to backstreet man backstreet's back (laughs) they want to find a killer and they got backstreet boys music playing in the background and they're all decked out in white clothes so it looks like a scene from a clockwork orange and Uh, it looks like the back that backstreet boys video where they're all wearing white okay well there you go not as well you know both but but there's definitely for for me that's what, what the reference was weird for me it was like totally a clockwork orange uh, but that that scene was just like it was so everything I love about the show. Like you get a bit of gore, you know, the guy gets his arms cut off, but it's not horrific or offensive or or insulting and or it's not going to make me want to look away because it's so campy and over the top. And it's just what it is. It's like it's it's comedy horror. And I'm a big fan of comedy horror. And I just love that character specifically. I think he's the second funniest character in the series. Um, I love his whole his whole crew. <laughs> like they're so dumb, so silly, so adorable, so naive. You can't hate them, but you can't like them at the same time because they're such idiots. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. So I really like that character. I absolutely love, and I think you know who I'm going to say here. Uh, my favorite character in the show is Denise Hemphill. Denise Nisi Nash, right? right? She is so amazing. And what I love about her character is she's actually the only character in the show who who's knows- trying to figure it out. She's trying to figure it out. She's trying to solve the, 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 the case of who the mystery killer or killers is. 
She wants to know who the killer is. She wants to stop the murders. And she's actually giving the proper advice. It's like when you think of a movie like Scream and, they, and Randy goes through the rules of what you're not supposed to do. It's like she's the only person in the show that's watched Wes Craven Scream because she knows the rules. You know what I mean? She's always telling like, why are you running upstairs? Why aren't you running outside? Why aren't you calling the cops? And I love her personality. I think she's so good in the show. Between her and Cookie and Empire, they are my two favorite characters right now on TV. Well, and what I also appreciate about that character, because you're right, it could be like the the Randy or whatever character from Scream, but she's not smug <laughs> with her. Why are you doing this? This is not the right thing to be doing. She's There's no like, because I feel like that character, because if a lot of these kinds of shows or shows that are or films or, that I've seen in this mode where it's self-aware about the horror genre, um, there's always a character who, who's like, oh, well, I know how these things go. And they're always a bit of a know-it-all. And usually they die horribly. But right. there's always a level of like disdain for the people who aren't listening to that character. And th th that's not present in Denise at all. I really enjoy that performance. Because usually those characters are sort of like the voice of the screenplay writer. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like a movie buff who's watched all the horror movies and they know the rules. So there is that snobbish feel to it. But her character is just the person she feels who, like, like a person. She doesn't feel like uh, an avatar for the writers. Yeah. She feels like anyone who would actually be put in that situation if they, were, if they would do the logical thing and run out of the house, for example, and not run upstairs where the killer is. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's what I love about her. And then, like, my favorite scene is when her partner gets stabbed. <laughs> she's driving off and she's like, why do you have a knife stuck in your head? And she's talking to, like, a dead corpse. And she understands his dead corpse, but it's just the way she reacts. Like, she, like, oh my god, I love, love, love her character. Like, this is why I love the show. I, I think like this is the best comedy on t on TV right now. Like, you asked me earlier what won my week in comedy. This is what won my week in comedy. I could not stop laughing. Okay, fair enough. Um, the one thing I would uh say I wish had been in this episode because I agree. I think it totally it, it it gets a few things right that the the two-part premiere uh wasn't too great about um with some of its tone and some of the like the, the racial uh references and like oh funny racism that is not as funny uh as as the writers think it is um so it gets some of that better here but the one thing it was missing for me is i do so enjoy nick jonas as as boone um and we know he's not dead uh so it would have been if they could have somehow done a reveal of and let him be in the mix here. I would have liked it, I think, even more. But I, they're they're holding off on that, clearly. Um, and then we wouldn't have gotten the we need to avenge Boone um, scene with the Backstreet Boys. So uh, clearly the, worth it. The thing about Nick Jonas is he's sort of like the Drew Barrymore of Scream Queens. Because if you think about it, like the first two episodes is really like the first 50 minutes of Scream. Because the season is 10 hours long. Isn't Ariana and Grande the, the, the Drew Barrymore Scream? No, Scream Queens. No, like because Drew Barrymore dies in Scream in the first fifty minutes, and he dies in technically the pilot episode, even though it was and like a. Then harder. he sits up and peels the thing off his neck and is not dead. I know he's like, but still, like he's the guy that I don't know. Like his whole like his like his the scene in which they murder him first of all mm -hmm. when he's working out and if, correct me if I'm wrong, but he's playing "I Wear My Sunglasses at Night" by Corey Hart. Mm -hmm. I think that was the song playing in the background. Um, I love that scene. Like when you talk about visual style and mise-en-scene and picking the right song, which sometimes completely clashes with what the events that are unfolding on screen, sometimes it works brilliantly and it works so well. Like the music 
is so perfectly chosen in this in this series to accompany what we see because it, it's it's tonally it shouldn't work but it does work because this show is just off the rockers and you know what my favorite scene is actually on this show okay my favorite movie of all time my favorite horror film of all time is the texas chainsaw massacre so when the professor walks into <laughs> And he gives this powerful speech about why it's like the greatest movie ever made. I was like high fiving like the ceiling. I was like, oh, yes. Yes. I do love that. Yeah. I yep. actually know something about horror films. Like he really does. He knows his shit. So, um, yeah, I love that scene. The only problem I'm having with the show is I'm trying to keep track of who Chanel number one, two, three, four, five, and six is. <laughs> <I can't laughs> fair enough. But, fair enough. I think uh, Chanel number three is the best, though. Okay. Is it the Abigail Breslin character? Uh, uh, Carrie Fisher's daughter, Billy Lord. Okay. So, you know, she was wearing the earmuffs. Oh, the earmuffs. A, yes. Uh, yes. To uh, Star Wars. Ah. Uh, character. Nice. Well, let's move on to our next show because we're already running super long. Uh, and I got to know what you think of Heroes Reborn Under the Mask. Heroes Reborn. I'm conflicted. I, 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 the, the thing about Heroes Reborn is the reason why it's hooked me is because I can't figure out where this is headed. Like, it's like with each and every single episode, they give us not answers. They just confuse us more. You know what I mean? It's like, um, I, I, it's hard to explain because it's been so long since I've seen the original series, right? So it's not necessarily fresh in my memory. So I don't know if I'm forgetting something and or if they just don't even know what they are doing. Like I'm kind of, I'm kind of afraid that they might not know how they're going to end the series yet. Like I'm not entirely sure how this works in terms of like filming TV shows. Like have they sh- filmed all of the episodes so far? No, I don't think so. Um, I, I'm not sure. Uh, I, I should know that, <laughs> but I don't. Um, but they should. Okay. I mean, with because it's a limited run thing, because it's only 13 mm-hmm. episodes. I would be very surprised if NBC picked this up without hearing the planned arc of this season. So this is planned as theoretically a one-off thing. And if it's successful, then yay, we can do some more. But it's yeah. only 13 episodes. It should They should have a very clear idea of where they're going with it. And for me, an important part of that is, you know, because I'm reviewing this over at the AV Club and I had uh, Miles McNutt filled in for me this past week, which thank you, Miles. So appreciative. I was in the middle of a Tchaikovsky and Prokofiev thing then so uh, so it was very much appreciated that he could fill in for me this past week but what i thought was very interesting is that i was very intrigued by the whole miko going into the video game thing and uh, because of the things i was expecting to happen with the sword her going to the video game was not even in the realm of my imagination so i liked that surprise and for me the fact that it's hero's sword is enough that i'm willing to go with it and i, I and that i think that there's something else that's going to come from it. Like I, I will give them the like, hero can, can teleport and go like in time and in space. And I'm completely I, cool with the notion that he can travel interdimensionally mm-hmm. and that he can imbue that ability into his sword. Um, so for me, I'm super willing to go with that, but the commenters are not. The thing about Miko's character is it's, I agree with what you're saying and only time will tell, but the problem with the, the two parter, like the season premiere is it was just so badly shot. Like, even by hero standards or TV standards, it just did not look good. It looks silly. And so she's an interesting character to some degree, and the fact that she has hero sword makes me interested in her, but it's just the way it was presented, and that's why a lot of people are turned off by specifically that scene, that character in the show so far. 
the first two episodes or first episode kind of felt like it was just like a prologue. It was like, let's catch up to some of these characters because it's been a while, of course, since we've seen them. And in this episode, it kind of feels like things are starting to unfold. But the characters that I actually kind of really, really like or I kind of feel like I'm invested in is Tommy and his mom, because the thing about all the other characters is they're all on the run and or they're evos against evos working for like the government and what have you and the thing about him is he's just like a normal kid who's trying to live his life and he's like there are of course clearly thousands if not millions of evos out there but we don't see them and at least we get to see what effect it has on just like someone who's actually trying to live a normal life and i really like think this kid is great in it because he was also in once upon a time right it's robbie k yes and I wasn't too hot on the actor on that show, but I think he's great on this show. I think he works. I love the chemistry between him and his mom. I like the fact that you have the stranger following him, following him around like the guardian, right? I, I was kind of shocked that the episode ends with a car crash. But it's like every, like the problem with the show that I'm having is just like, even in this world, like superheroes exist, not just like the evils, but like movies and comic books and whatnot. So because it also exists in our world and we're so consumed with pop culture. I'm just like, why haven't we seen sort of like a bunch of Evos team up and sort of start a supervillain group or something and go rob banks? I think we banks? have. And that's Renatus. Um, I, think, I think that's Renatus. I think that's like the, the prime tech, the corporation, whatever. I feel like, because we obviously there's Harris uh, Prime and clone. So like there's clearly Evo's working in that organization, if not high up in the organization. Um, and so it they just, you know, I have been the ones who would be doing flashy things have been nabbed by Renatus already and are in like holding cells. Well, the Evo's working against Evo's, I think, can make a very interesting story or subplot for the entire season. I want to see more of that, but I'm not entirely sure what they're going to do with this. I, I actually thought it was kind of like funny, silly, and also kind of cool that the corporation s- reveals their big plan, which is sort of a combination of the movie They Live by John Carpenter and also the plot from X-Men 2, I think it was, X2. It's Cerebro. Like, right, it's exactly. come up so frequently in the comics, yeah. So they tack into Molly's ability and they use it to track down all the evils on the planet. And that's actually like the most dangerous weapon that they can actually have against the evils. So that was kind of interesting. But at the same time, I want to see how it plays out. Uh, because, you know, for example, is it Noah? Mm-hmm. Okay, so Noah is... Like, okay, the thing about Noah is I'm confused about Noah. I mean, I, I think purposely so. Like, that again, that's one of the reasons why I'm intrigued and I'm still watching because I'm still trying to piece it all together, right? So, I'm not entirely sure. And I don't think anyone knows what happened to Noah. Like, do you know? Like, am I just oh, no. something? No, no, no. He okay. doesn't know, and we don't know either. The thing for me with Noah, um, and I'm curious your, your thoughts there, I'm going to throw it right back to you here. But the thing for me about Noah is I will go with Miko like teleporting into a video game. Like I can, I can go with that. That's fine. They're going to have a very, very difficult time convincing me of something that Noah could have done where Molly wouldn't go with him when she knows what's waiting for her is what happens here. Like she knows the plan, like to plug her into fake Cerebro, like John Carpenter, they live Cerebro. um, And that it's going to be horrible and painful and terrible. And for Noah to have done anything that warrants that reaction uh, is going to be incredibly difficult for me to buy. Well, here, here's the thing. And that's, what's so interesting. Like 
The mystery surrounding Noah is the most interesting part of the series, but it can also kill the season for me. Because mm-hmm. if they don't do it right, it could just totally fall apart. Yeah. And that's what worries me. Yeah. So I I like Heroes Reborn. I was a big fan of the original show. Of course, you know, eventually with time it, it sort of fell apart, but it started off really strong. And I don't know. I mean, I'm giving it a second chance. So hopefully it'll end good. I mean, it's three episodes in, but like, that's why I asked you, like, what's going on with the show? Because basically it's like a standalone season, you're saying, right? So 13 episodes or three episodes in. And I, I'm hoping in the next episode, something huge happens, right? But I'm not interested in, in for example, Luke and Joanne, like specifically Joanne. <laughs> I'm <laughs> specifically not interested in Luke. I'm sorry. I don't care. Oh, no. Now I'm becoming an Evo. And now I'm going to be tortured about should I've been killing all these people this whole time. Uh, that's terrible. That's just bad writing because he's introduced knowing like saying, I understand that you are all innocent, but I feel like I need to kill you anyways. So yeah. if they try to say like, oh, I didn't understand that Evos are just people uh, that completely contradicts his opening monologue. So like I can't possibly see a way that that is going to pay off. That isn't just eye roll inducing. Yeah, I don't know about these two characters, because the thing is, it's like now I'm trying to figure out if they want me as a viewer to sympathize with this character because, you know, his son did die because of the bombing. And so they have in their minds, like a reason for hunting down these egos for, for spending a year slaughtering people. Come on. No, like it's in their like, But that's the thing. So all of a sudden he's supposed to have like a 180 degree turn on the way he views Evos because all of a sudden he's like his steak he's dinner is, is overheating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's, um, you know. Totally yeah. the weakest part of the series. We agree. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's move on to our last show of the week in genre, and that's Gotham. And I have seen almost no Gotham aside from the premiere, which I saw at Comic-Con. Um, and then maybe like an episode here or there. I, I did check in with it several times upon hearing from people that it had improved over the course of the first season. Um, it didn't improve enough for me to, to keep watching it. But um, I also, we have a JP reviews it for us over at Pop Optic and he does a fa- fabulous job. Um, so I, I always am reading his reviews. So I'm like aware of what's going on, but this is the first episode that I watched. Uh, I've seen in quite a while. And that was knock, knock. Now you've also seen the episode, uh, that's after that, this 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 Monday's episode, uh, The Last Laugh, um, I was most struck by the number of things that they seem to have gotten right or fixed or gotten better at, but also the 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 fact that they are just like, I think one of the best things they did was just throw the book, the comics out the window with certain characters, uh, specifically with Barbara, and then, um, and I think that's really exciting, As, and then having other parts of it seem to connect more into the comics are not working for me like i don't care about baby batman and finding out that his dad was batman prime like i don't care about any of that part of the show so i'm curious for you as someone who's been watching the show how that progression has worked for you and if you have a different perspective than i do okay first of all season one of gotham i hated the first five episodes and i'm a huge fan of the comic book i have over 10,000 Batman comic books, like no exaggeration. I'm a huge fan. Now, the thing about the show is I think it was like episode six or eight of season one where it started to shift and slowly improved. I was a huge fan of the series by the end of season one. And I think it's like by far my favorite superhero TV show, period. Like I love The Flash. I still think this is a far more interesting show. I, I'm shocked that you like S.H.I.E.L.D., but you don't like Gotham enough to watch it week by week, because I think each and every single episode, there's something to to walk away 
from just wanting to talk about like it could be like a new cast member it could be like some crazy scene in which jerome tries to light up a school bus with a bunch of cheerleaders like i i also cannot believe how violent the show is like i mean it airs at eight o'clock on a monday night and i have like when i worked at the elementary school the kids were watching the show. I'm like, your parents let you watch the show? They're like, yeah, but it's Batman. I'm like, no, it's not Batman. Yeah, but this the thing is... Bloody but, violence. Yeah, but there was a 0% chance that Bus of Cheerleaders was going to get, like, get burned. That was that was never going to happen. It was obvious that, that wasn't going to happen. Perhaps, but that sequence terrified me. Like, that oh, sequence... not at all. Me. Not even a little bit to me. For me, it did. It actually honestly reminded me of a lot of Japanese, like, uh, extreme cinema I've watched where I've actually seen similar scenes except the, light, the school bus actually does light on fire but even that episode it ends with Jerome walking in with the maniacs into the police department and shooting everyone in sight I mean everybody dies I mean Commissioner Essen dies and she was such a fantastic character and I'm, I understand why she has to die because eventually Gordon's got to become the commissioner and it was also a reason to bring back um, Harvey, right? Because he had left the force. So it gives him a reason to come back. So I understand why. I just, unfortunately, it was a little too soon for me because she was just finally starting to get some interesting dialogue, some good screen time. She's become an interesting character. She's a great actress. It's too bad they killed her off so quick. But I, I think this show is amazing. <laughs> like, like it, Amazing and like the way Scream Queens is amazing. Like, it is what Scream Queens is for horror comedies. This is for comic book movies. It's so over the top and it's got these crazy characters. And it reminds me a lot of Tim Burton movies. Like the first two Tim Burton movies were just as wacky and crazy as Gotham is. So I kind of, especially with the look, the production values, it's gotten a lot better. The set designs, the lighting, the costumes. And the most interesting thing about season two is his character, Jerome. And I'm still not even entirely sure if he is the Joker and or not, because in the comic book, the character's backstory is so shrouded in mystery that we don't really know what's real and what's not, where he comes from, et cetera, et cetera. And so we get this character called Jerome, who's clearly supposed to be the Joker and or a character like the Joker. And it's weird because after tonight's episode, I'm not entirely sure what they're going to do with the Joker. And I don't even know what to think about it because I wasn't sold on the fact that it was the Joker because... I just thought it was a different character named the Joker, but I'm honestly not even entirely sure now. Like they can go any in, in any direction and surprise us. And in terms of like the kid, okay, here's the thing about Bruce Wayne. One of my biggest problems with season one was I wasn't a big fan of the the child actor, like the kid. Oh, David Mazuz, I've liked him. What I've seen of him in this, but you I know. But the thing is. I like what they're doing with his character specifically in season two. I love his relationship with Alfred and like that scene in the episode, which you watched knock knock in which he fires Alfred. I thought it was actually heartbreaking because I love that character. Alfred. he's like probably the best character on the show. And so having him next to Bruce Wayne, because let's face it, most of the time when Bruce Wayne's on screen, he's standing beside Alfred. Right. And because you have these two actors side by side, I think that helps a lot. And I really like the chemistry between those two. And I love the relationship. And um, yeah, I, I absolutely love the, sh the episode that aired tonight, too, which uh, was called The Last Laugh. So this is my favorite comic book TV show, superhero TV show, whatever you want to call it. And I've watched Daredevil, which I think is fantastic, but I still prefer Gotham. See, you ask how I could watch S.H.I.E.L.D. every week and not be interested in watching Gotham. S.H.I.E.L.D. is fun. There's the difference <laughs> for me, because Gotham... 
even like the parts of the the what I saw from the first season that I most enjoyed were the campier stuff uh, with fish and like those elements. Like I enjoyed the more scenery chewing stuff and the parts of, of the show that were willing to have some fun. And that's what I liked what I saw uh, of what I saw here. I liked the Jerome character. Um, I liked what um, I, I liked some of that like broader stuff. I mean, James Frain is just perfect casting for this kind of show He because he's he's done so many like they bring him in. They're like, we want you to do the campy James Frey, like, he can do other stuff too, but he very frequently gets brought into shows like this to play this kind of character, and he's very good at it. Um, I, I think that Ben McKenzie and Donald Logue could also make a fantastic cop show that's more grounded and down to earth. Um, and I'm big fans of both of them in, in their previous cop shows or PI shows, absolutely. Um, but for me, like so much, like you said, this like they slaughter a room full of cops. The only one whose name, and granted, I haven't been watching the show, so maybe you have a more bigger connection to them. But the only one whose name I know or care about at all is Essen. So it seems like they they kill all these other people just to like shock you, and so that we can say like, ah, it's so violent, and just to be well, grim for grim's sake. And that's I don't, not I don't, I don't, I don't think. Me. I don't think they're trying to shock people like the way, say, Ryan Murphy's trying to shock people well, in American no, Horror Story. no, not like American Horror Story. No, but, but I think I think Sarah Essen's character needed to go. I just think it was too soon. But they needed her to go because they needed to bring back um, Harvey Bullock, played yeah. by Donal Lowe, who's amazing. But why and did they, they need to kill everybody else? Um, because he needed a big enough reason to want to come back. I mean, that's huge. I mean, it's not like killing so we're a police officer. Kill is huge, everyone? But... We're going to kill well, the entire kill... precinct so that we can bring Harvey back. Come on. They're going to kill they everybody. Can... They kill a few, they kill a bunch of people, not everyone. Okay. I mean, in, in this episode, it specifically stated like Gordon has this big speech about never forget what they did. Never forget this moment in time. It's like this big, huge thing. Uh, I mean, you can't, I mean, how could you not think this is fun? It's so campy. Yeah. There are moments that are dark and serious, but there's, just the performances from the cast alone. I mean, look at the cast. Look at how large his cast is. It's insane. I mean, I miss I miss Fish. Okay, Fish was a great character. But you know what's also great about like these last two episodes? They didn't feature who I think is the fan favorite, and that is the Penguin. Yeah. And even without Penguin, I still think the episode was pretty awesome. Like both episodes. So. I mean, Penguin did make a small brief appearance in tonight's episode, but like five minutes towards the end. But in the episode that you watched, Knock Knock, he's nowhere to be found. So yeah. I'm glad to see that even with the star, I think the show still holds up. And I think the show is just a lot of fun. I, I'm using the word fun here. Um, it's like one of my favorite shows on TV right now. And um, yeah, give it a shot if you haven't, if you like comic book TV shows. Yeah, well, because I mean, I'm, it doesn't help that I'm also not a fan of this version of the penguin and uh yeah i'm just i it's just, he's just kind of annoying to me i also am not a huge fan of them seeming to turn uh edward nigma into a split personality thing which is a boring way to take that character um and that's that that's the harvey dent thing guys that's i mean and and yes blend change you know do your own thing absolutely uh, take feel. I, it'd be nice if they would feel free to take more liberties. I think from the little I've seen of the show, I think it would benefit from that. However, take liberties in interesting ways, like they did with Barbara, as opposed to in ways we've all seen a million times before, which is the split personality thing for him. But I'm glad that I, you're enjoying it. Yeah, I actually love Nigla in the show, and I think the actor is fantastic. I actually do not like the Barbara character. She's the one character in the series that I wish they would just get rid of. Okay. So yeah, mm -hmm. I just like that they gave, they took the character that is the wife, 
and is just the the wife in the the comics at least to my knowledge and they're like they tried to do that they're like this isn't working we need to do let's just go full-on crazy with her just do something completely different that no one's expecting we're gonna have her kill her parents and like i like that they felt uh that they could do that when they saw the character wasn't working as originally intended intended yeah well what wins your week in genre sir Hmm. it's gonna be tough it's gonna be tough but i'm going to give it to gotham okay and i'm gonna give it to doctor who which that feels nice to say wow it's been a while yeah I, i really liked that episode um but now we'll take a break and we'll come back with our week in drama you say it's night, I'll say it's morning. You see the light and pretend you don't. And I'll close the blinds if you really want me to. If that's what you want to do. But life has its own as time passes on and changes the hourglass moves on and our path is torn and straight this week in drama I'm going to preview Fargo uh, which is starting up season 2 over on FX and then talk briefly about the Code Black pilot uh, before Ricky and I dive in a little bit with uh, Empire Without a Country and then talk about that Leftovers premiere, Axis Mundi. So many things to talk about with that. But first up, Fargo Season 2 is starting up this week. And guys, it's so good! As I'm sure everybody will already have heard from other podcasts and other reviews, other season previews, by the time you're hearing this, um, either it's premiering tonight or you may, you may have already started up. But um, I've seen the first two Again, of the four I could have seen because I watched the American Horror Story premiere. Don't spend your time on that. Instead, spend your time on Fargo. Having this season be sort of like a prequel season that's set, you know, that's going to at some point theoretically um, inter- intersect with, you know, that story that the Keith Carradine uh, character mentioned last year uh, on season one of Fargo, I think is a really smart idea. I love the period touches, but also just. It's a way to remain in this world without, uh, or this like this aesthetic and this this space, without feeling um, like the the need to examine all the effects of everything that happened in season one. It lets season one sort of just be the self contained thing, while still being in the same area and and not having to deal with all of that, not having the baggage of season one, which I think I, I, it's it's gonna work really well. I think. Also, this cast is redonk. Um, so if I say Fargo to you and then say, um, I'm going to list some names and I want you to tell me which of these seems like the most perfect fit. And spoiler alert, my answer is all of them. So we've got, imagine, you know, Fargo season one, the world of Fargo, that kind of, again, that aesthetic, that that feel. Ted Danson. Offerman, Nick Offerman. Jesse Plemons. Uh, we have Gene Smart. We have uh, Michael Hogan, or you know, people know him as Colonel Ty on uh, Battlestar Galactica, as well as many other things. Uh, how about uh, Kirsten Dunst as sort of like a 
person who doesn't quite fit there, you know, maybe she wants to leave and get out of this Fargo aesthetic because, you know, she doesn't connect with it in the same way. I mean, just like, it, these are all characters. These all these are all actors who I would not have thought. Oh, I need to see them in Fargo. But then as soon as you as soon as you see Ted Danson with a uh, like a close shorn beard, wearing like a like a the, the, that brown trooper kind of like Fargo hat, you're just like, of course, this is a thing I needed on my television. Um, do any are any of those names intriguing to you? Yeah, I like Ted Danson, but isn't Patrick Wilson the lead? He is the lead. Or- he yes. is the lead. Okay. Yeah, and he's very good. Um, what I've seen, he's playing that uh, the younger version of that Keith Carradine character. Um, but like for me, I don't like think. Oh, of course, he would perfectly fit in that milieu in the same way for with him as I do with say Nick Offerman as a Vietnam vet who is distrustful of the government. That you know feels very appropriate. I mean, Kieran Culkin's in here as well um, as sort of like a weaselly kind of character. It's you know, a lot of fun there. I mean, just like this is, it's it's not about um, the real star for me though. In is yes, it's Patrick Wilson. Yes, it's you know Christian, um, uh, Chris Christy Miliati, people will know as the mother. If I'm how I met your mother, um, works really well as Molly's mom. Um, but I mean, for me, it's all about Jesse Plemons in these first couple episodes. Uh, Ted Danson and uh, Patrick Wilson's relationship as, you know, it works really well. They they work together. And then Jesse Plemons as sort of this, like, everyman sort of figure that he, he's playing um, is just so great here. And it's wonderful to see him get such meaty material because he's one of those actors who's come out of Friday Night Lights getting a lot of different roles, a lot of different opportunities. But it's nice to see him get something to really sink his teeth into and, and – uh, yeah, I'm really enjoying what he's doing in these first couple episodes. The, the the main difference between your podcast and my podcast is the first person I would mention is Bruce Campbell. Yeah, but he's not in these first two episodes. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm I'm super excited about when he's going to show up playing Ronald Reagan. I mean, come on. How exciting is that? Um, the opening of the season, um, you know, similar kind of to what we're going to talk about with The Leftovers, has this seemingly non sequitur scene that I think is going to tie in thematically with some of the other elements of the season. I'm very excited to, to see more from that or, or have that connect in more, which I feel like it might based on, uh, on who Campbell is playing. Um, but yet that's again, not in these first four, but I just, this is such a confident show. I love the scoring. Let me just say, because like season one had some has some really great scoring and some really great um, soundtrack choices as well. I'm loving the scoring in the first two episodes of this show. The visuals are fantastic. There's plenty of that um, stark ang- uh, lighting and uh, cinematography and camera work um, that we expect from Fargo. There's some of that in here as well. There's some really interesting opening um, credits kind of ideas, at least in the first two. Um, and again, this is a very talented cast with excellent dialogue, with excellent direction, with excellent, like, like it's just so well made. Now, for me, this isn't like the shoe in. Of course, this is going to be the best thing ever, the way that it sounds like it is for some other critics. Fargo was not my number one, <laughs> like, by a long shot last year, uh, show of, of 2014. But it's just enjoyable to watch something that is so well made um, and that has such a dis- distinct feel and tone and i can't wait to to get a little bit more time in that world 
Mm-hmm. For anyone who doesn't catch the reference, the reason why I said the difference between your podcast and my podcast is because we only review horror films. And so Bruce Campbell's <laughs> like a god to us. Um, you know what was the number one show, according to critics last year? It was Empire. Um, it depends on who you talk to. I was told that the official TV Critics Association voted it as the best show of last year. TCA's, the TCA may have given that an award, but then you look at something like the HitFix poll, which polls critics from across the country and asks them to give their top 10. And that and Fargo won that one by, uh, like, cause they have a point system. Fargo won that one pretty substantially. Like, depends on who you talk to. Huh, and okay. Empire, Empire was that might have that was the year, but that wasn't the calendar year. That was like the season when they do TCAs is in the summer. So if you're talking about like the 2014 thing, that wouldn't have been eligible. So yeah, we'll see where it ends up um, in the fall. But yes, it won best drama series. I think is what you're saying at TCAs. But uh, but yeah, last last year at the end, the end in the listening, the end of year listening. Fargo was making a very significant um, placement in a lot of lists. But uh, I'm just very excited about this upcoming season. You're going to watch? Oh, yeah. I mean, I was a huge fan of season one. It wasn't my top show. Um, I like, for example, The Leftovers better and Game of Thrones. But it was on my top ten. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm excited. It's going to be fun. Um, I wanted to mention Code Black because, again, like I said, I didn't get a chance to talk about that in the season preview or the fall season preview. I think this one is solid. This is the medical show with uh, Marsha Gay Harden and Luis Guzman. I I like a lot of this cast. It's actually nice to see Deb Patel get to be something other than the boyfriend on Smash. Um, I think he does a good job here. This is, like, if you're looking for, like, a ER set, like, kind of show, you're looking for something in that vein and you don't feel like just busting out your ER DVDs, um, like, if if Grey's Anatomy is too soapy for you, I think you'll enjoy this one. Um, I thought it was solid. Um, and it really gets a lot of mileage out of having such a strong cast in what could be very boring roles and very predictable and very, you know, things that you've, we've all seen before. But I mean, Marsha Gay Harden and Luis Guzman are going to knock that stuff out of the park. And I think that the people they bring in to be the new residents are also interesting and do a good job with what they're given as well. Um, yeah, there's just, I mean, you got Kevin Dunn here. I mean, I always love seeing Kevin Dunn on my TV. Um, so, so I think that that casting certainly having such a seasoned cast and such a, a solid cast certainly does help um, this show. But again, and this is the kind of thing that I can see myself putting on, like, when I'm, like, doing laundry or if I'm all cut up and everything else. I'm like, what's, like, just kind of an episode I can just pop on? I could see myself watching Code Black if I'm not feeling bantery. But, um, yeah, a solid but not spectacular pilot as far as I'm concerned. Um, we we won't be talking about the Good Wife premiere this week or the Affair premiere because there was enough time for me to watch them. I watched part of the Good Wife premiere enjoyed it, but I'll talk about those next week. Instead, we're going to move swiftly on to Empire without a country. Uh, how's this season working for you? How could you not love Empire? Not exactly a great show, but just a ton of fun. And, you know, I think all of those Dynasty comparisons finally came in handy because they actually mentioned Dynasty in this episode. Like, who wasn't, like, freaking out? They um, named think, their company Dynasty. <laughs> I know, right? It's, like, the perfect name. I think the best description of Empire, and I can't remember who said this, but they said it's a hip-hop-centric, melodramatic adaptation of King Lear. And I couldn't agree more. Like, I like the fact that it's just so crazy over the top. And the pacing, like, it moves at such a fast pace, right? There's so many things that happen within five minutes. And it's so, so, so bonkers at times. It's so unrealistic to some degree. Um, You question why the characters 
change sides like every two seconds for example you question why they stab someone in the back and in the next scene they're like best of friends and then cookie's telling lucius that she loves him and hates him all at the same time but the thing i like about it is that because it's a show about the hip-hop industry this might sound silly but i kind of feel like the pacing and the tone and just the way everything changes so quick and drastically it resembles like the hip-hop industry you know, and I mean, this show, first of all, has fantastic music. Like it helps that Timberland, for example, is like one of the music uh, supervisors. Uh, the music in itself is fantastic. I think if I'm not mistaken, like they had like seven top 10 singles last year from the soundtrack alone. Um, so I just have a ton of fun with this, with the show. And I think the reason why I like it so much is because Cookie is like my favorite character on TV right now, you know, and she's not the same cookie she was in season one. In season two, she feels a little bit. I, I wouldn't say I, I actually you know what I would say that she feels like she's in control and she feels like she's actually thinking twice before reacting and making smarter decisions because she has to. Right now she's in competition with Empire. And so she's a completely different character. She doesn't feel as dangerous or as spontaneous as the cookie in season one, but I do welcome the change. And I love the additional cast members that we get this season already. Like we're only what, two episodes in and there's already a ton of cameo appearances. I mean, from my understanding, everyone's lining up because they all want to be in the show. I love the new sleazy lawyer who wears a purple suit. He looks like he came out of some black exploitation film like Dolomite or something. Mm-hmm. Um, That's uh, Andre Royo. Yeah, People I love. Bubbles. I mean, I'm just gonna keep using the word love. Like, <laughs> I I love the entire cast, even the characters that I don't like. Like, I don't like Andre, but who likes Andre? I and mean, the guy's like a nutcase, but at the same time, he also has like a medical condition, right? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? He's not just like some villain. Like, the guy is got it. Like, he's he's supposed to be on medication, and and I mean, Hakeem. Oh my God, Hakeem is like the kind of kid you want to slap, but he's like also the kind of kid that's like so cool. And I love, I love how like there's there's so many references to things that have actually happened in like the hip hop world. You know, like for example, an artist dropping his album online to defy like the music studio, or someone moving to a different um, a different record label because they have like a beef with whatever rapper, and that causes like this big huge war. I mean, Empire is like. It's appointment viewing for me because as soon as the show is over, the first thing I do is I call my friend and I talk to her about it. Like Aisha, she calls it Black Dynasty. <laughs> like I love talking <laughs> to Aisha about the show. So yeah, this show is just a ball of fun. Like how could you not like Empire? And one of the things that gets so right is the stakes of what's going on. It it's it has so much fun with these like juicy, ridiculous plot twists. And then when then when when shit gets real. They go to they go to Lucius's house and they lock the doors because some real bad guys are you know like things are going to going down and I love that they have that that they that they can switch modes and there's a different level of intensity when you know there's 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 the infighting the epic drama and the angst of the the family infighting and the power struggle but as soon as there's a legitimate and concerning threat from outside. Um, anything that, that again, that you don't feel like the characters are untouchable. You do feel like something bad could happen. Um, I, I love the way that the, the tone of the show really does shift and we see cookie in a different mode and we see Lucius in a different mode. Um, and that's when they come together to protect their family. And so having, 
having that ability to to so deftly go back and forth um, when the show needs it, I think is very wise. And it stops us from getting worn out on the same like high, you know, like these, they make these bold pronouncements uh, between the different <laughs> members of the Lions uh, clan. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it stops us from getting exhausted with people saying they're going to like, I'll never talk to you again or whatever, but we all know that they will because it's a TV show. It allows us to have some like different levels of stakes and different levels of threats. So that way we can enjoy and indulge the, the less serious ones a bit more because we know that this is a show that is willing to to call in the big guns and and to really put our our characters in peril and have them make some some difficult choices when uh when the show needs it. Well the the thing about the, the Lions family is the family members will do terrible things to the family members but when it comes to outsiders doing terrible things to them that's when they have each other's backs like that's when the group together and and you know cuz the thing is it's like no matter what, well, actually, I was going to say, like, nobody would kill anyone, but there was that scene in which Cookie almost like, does kill Lucius when he's sleeping and strangles him with a, with a pillow. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's just so interesting, like, this, 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 this family, because specifically Cookie and Lucius, like, the thing about them is I think they're drawn to the drama, the double-crossing, the danger. Like, for them, it's, like, their way of feeling alive. And the thing about, like, their music, like, you know, especially the character Lucius, like, when he started from the bottom and rose to the top and he was like a a rags to riches story like he made this company along with cookie but they had like a hard life growing up like you know they had to sell drugs and they grew up in like a violent neighborhood and i think they sort of need the drama in their life in order to continue to make the music because it's what feeds their creativity it's what fuels like the hip-hop industry and so that's the thing about empire like i think as crazy and over the top as some of these subplots are, I think they actually in some strange way parallel what a lot of artists have gone through and still go through in the hip-hop industry. Well, and it's just that that is, like you say, that was their grounding. That's where, where they come from. And so that's they they feel comfortable in a certain level of chaos that feels like natural to them. So you get Cookie, and if everything's going too well she's going to be a little un- uneasy because she's not like, like it's the calm before the storm thing where I, you don't know how, how much she'd be able to handle everything going her way. She might end up sabotaging herself because she couldn't trust it. Yeah. I think they're, I think they naturally expect things to go wrong. And if everything seems like it's going right, they expect something terrible, like really bad to happen. And that's why they start to get paranoid. But the kids don't necessarily share the same sort of like mindset. Like Hakeem, for example, he's like a spoiled rich brat. I mean, the guy grew up with money. I mean, like when by the time Lucius was already making millions, that's when he was really coming of age. Like that's when he was like, say, in elementary school and whatnot. But someone like Andre, I think he feels the stakes. But the thing is, you're right. I mean, the last thing I'm going to say is, yeah, there are stakes. Like a lot of shows you feel like there's no stakes. Like even when we watch like superhero shows, you're like, Oh, well, you know, the flash is not going to die because he's like the flash. I mean, every time I watch empire, I mean like cookie had a head in a box delivered to her. You know, (laughs) I'm like, I could not stop laughing. But at the same time, like, yeah, any one of these characters can die. And a lot of people say that it feels like, um, old fashioned television. And like, I've never watched Dallas or dynasty. Like I'm fully aware of what dynasty is, but I've never actually watched it. And so I understand why people call it old-fashioned television, but 
I really feel like it just perfectly mirrors the hip hop industry. And um, it's just a ton of fun. And I love the pacing and the music and everything about it is great. And I, Lee Daniels, like, every single episode, which he directs, I think is fantastic. So yeah, appointment viewing. Glad you're enjoying it. And uh, just because we haven't said it, uh, Jamal, Jesse Smollett, still oh, the certainly the heart of the show for me outside of Cookie. Uh, my number one investment is by far and most fun uh, strength of the show for me is Taraji P. Henson. And then to, then I, cause I, I have issues as our listeners know, I've got issues with, uh, uh, with Terrence Howard. Um, but then, so then after that, I would go to Jesse Smollett, who I think I like what they're doing with him this season. Also, you mentioned other new people. Um, I mean, how fun is Marissa Tomei this season? Yeah. But you know who I'm missing? It's Portia and Becky. Mm-hmm. Because apparently, if I'm not mistaken, they are actually cast as regulars this season, like right, like they're like top build. Well, not top build, but like you know what I mean. Yeah. But I haven't seen them, or I haven't seen much of them in the in like the first two or three episodes. So I'm like, okay, I hope hopefully we'll see more of them. Becky got some it, stuff to do, but poor, we could definitely use more Portia. Yeah, yeah, because they they do bring a lot of comic relief. So. Yeah. Now we've already gone much longer than we're supposed to. Uh, theoretically, the entire podcast should be over now, and we haven't even begun our special segment. So I'm going to limit us to five minutes on the leftovers because I feel like we could talk about this all day long. Um, you're reviewing this. You reviewed <sighs> this episode over at Pop Optic, and thank you for for doing that, Ricky. Um, WTF, mate? And are you, how excited or nervous does does this season premiere make you for this season of The Leftovers? I think this is one of the best season premieres I've seen in quite some, some time. I thought this episode was brilliant. And like I wrote in my review that last year, there was three episodes that I could have easily voted as one of the best episodes of the year. Like three fantastic hours of TV. And I would put this episode not... I mean, it, this episode isn't quite as good as those three episodes, but it's a damn fine way to start a series. I, I like the fact that we only get introduced to the, the characters from season one 38 minutes into the show because first they focus on this new family, which I think is really important. I love that 10-minute opening sequence. Um, we've only got five minutes to talk about the show, so everything about the show works, everything from the cinematography to the editing to the soundtrack to, like, you name it, Right. But, I mean, my biggest questions, and no one has the answers yet, and they might not even give us answers, right? Because it's the leftovers. It's like, you know, why did she bury a bird? Did she bury the bird? How did the bird survive? Um, what was the, the point of that? Was it because her husband received a bad omen from some psychic and it was her way of trying to, like, bring some good luck to the family? I have no idea what's going on what's going on there. I love Evie. She's the most interesting and fascinating character in the show. I love the fact that her epilepsy parallels the earthquakes. I love the fact that we get the earthquake in that epilogue, which takes place like thousands of years ago, which we see some cave woman give birth. Like what a fantastic, beautiful scene that was. Um, more questions. Okay. Like <laughs> what is up with the pie? Was someone actually trying to poison him? Did he actually think that someone was trying to poison him? What happened to Kevin? How did he get hurt? Who's the guy in the tower? <laughs> like, <laughs> Why does someone walk into a diner in the middle of the daytime and kill and sacrifice a poor, innocent goat? What's up with the cricket? The cricket is just there to... It's like the fly and fly and break And the last, the last thing I'm going to mention, because you're only giving me five minutes, is we learned that the Perfect Stranger star, Mark Lynn Baker, actually faked his departure. Which is delight. I loved that. I thought that was so fantastic. 
uh, such a fun, neat little touch. Um, this, you know, I love that this just throws you in. And I wish more shows felt comfortable to do this, but they don't. That it just goes, here's the new season. Uh, you're not supposed to know what it means yet, but we have a bunch of really engaging actors and we have some interesting developments happening. And you may have almost none of your characters from season one, but the show still feels like the show. So it'll feel like the leftovers and you'll be fine. Like it feels oddly culty. Some of the stuff that's going on, like the, the town, the way that they talk about the town and we're so blessed. Cause of course um, no one was departed from this town. Uh, that's why it's like a, like there's like the fence up and people have to wear wristbands because it's like a, a national tourist spot. Um, but and then there's like, oh, is the water like magic? There's the scientists testing the water and they're collecting vials of it for like the church or whatever. Like it's, um, you know, and the, 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 the girl with epilepsy is like actively like drinking the water. Um, and there's the thing with Matt and maybe Janelle Millennial actually get to act and do something. Oh, she's acting, but maybe she'll actually get to do more this season. Um, who knows? But yeah. I love the way it plays with paranoia that feels very appropriate to the leftovers. I love, um, I love that it just throws you with this new family. I love that we finally have some not white people on the show. Thank you for moving, for setting a thing that's set in Texas and not having everybody be white. Like, you know, the first few seasons of, uh, except for smash, of course, uh, of Friday night lights and so many other shows that theoretically should have very diverse cast based on the, the makeup of the, the towns where they're set. So, um, I, I, I love that this is something that uh, was a criticism of the first season and Damon Lindelof said, yeah, you guys are right. Let's, let's do something about that. Um, let's do something about that. And, and, and really was proactive in, in like, I mean, come on, Regina King. We all love Regina King. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about all the new characters, but I certainly am very intrigued by them. I really like the way that they, that they introduced Evie and, and like worked with that character. And I mean, I did, we didn't watch The Affair this week, so we can't talk about peeing on the screen in 15, which is apparently uh, something that I can look forward to in The Affair. But I love, like, there's, like, Evie and her friends are just running around the, the woods naked. And it's just, like, the way that that was shot um, didn't feel really leering, just was sort of like, this is a thing. And it just felt very, like, again, experiential and odd and but fully in keeping with what the series is. And we may never find out answers to these things. And I don't really care because it feels in keeping with the tone of the show and with like what this, this town and what this show kind of is and what the life is like after the departure. Um, so yeah, well, I really like this premiere. And that's the thing about the show. It's not about giving answers as to why 140 million people disappeared three years ago. It's about, it, it's about how these people deal with what happened and move on with their lives and forget the tragedy. And so it focuses on these characters and the character dynamics and the, fa and the families and the relationships between strangers and, and superstitions and religion and you name it. It's about dealing with this, this event that happened in which 140 million people disappeared. And that's a huge thing. And I, it's, it, I love the fact that they sort of, in a way, rebooted the show because it does take place in a new town. We do have a new family to focus on. And yeah, we do have some returning characters in this season, but it's just, oh my God, the show is beautiful. Like that, that, that scene where she's running naked, her and her friends, it reminds me of a Peter Weir film, like a picnic at Hanging Rock or some of these like weird, like trippy psychological thrillers that I absolutely love. This show is fantastic. If this is the way it starts, this might be my number one show of the year if it gets better, which I'm sure it will. Uh, and so many mysteries, so many mysteries. Love it. Yeah. And again, for me, it's not, the mysteries are intriguing 
and they allow it to have this tone that it does where you're, you're never really quite sure what to trust or how just how left of center this world is. But um, I mean, when we were watching Regina King, that character uh, sit at home and wonder if she'll ever see her daughter again, knowing that this town was spared that with the departure um, and they have, they have counted themselves so blessed and so we're special here. We have, it's like we have, we're a special blessed community and now she, she's having to deal with this fresh trauma. Um, yeah, I, it's like, it's, it's, it's very intriguing and a very promising start to the season. Absolutely. Um, well, what wins your weekend drama? The Leftovers, by far yeah. my favorite episode of any television show this week. Yeah, and uh, the leftovers. Um, I'll I'll give it to you as well as um, of course Fargo, but I'll talk about that next week a bit more. But uh, yeah, there's some damn good TV coming back. Now we will take a break and we'll come back with a season spotlight, somewhat truncated season spotlight on Fear the Walking Dead. We'll be right back after this. We're back with the Televerse, and this week, in place of the DVD shelf, we're going to do a season spotlight here on season one of Fear of the Walking Dead. Joining me once again is my partner in crime over at the Pop Optic uh, Walking Dead podcast, Mr. Ricky D. Welcome back to the podcast, sir. Hey, Kate. So uh, we're going to keep this short, even though we have a lot to say, but our listeners can tune into our Walking Dead podcast, because I'm pretty sure we're going to be making a lot of comparisons between the two shows next week. Yeah, I imagine we'll be diving in a little bit with strengths and and weaknesses and maybe things we enjoyed about uh, Fear the Walking Dead that we would like to see in The Walking Dead and, and vice versa. But uh, let's we're going to keep this very focused on this first six-episode season of Fear the Walking Dead. Uh, so let's kick it off with uh, Ricky. How did this work for you as a whole? Is did it Did it live up to expectations, exceed or not live up to them? How... For you, at the end of six episodes, how how strong was the first season of Fear the Walking Dead? Here's the thing. I think the first season of Fear of the Walking Dead is actually better than the first season of The Walking Dead. And I know a lot of people are going to freak out because I said that, but hear me out. A lot of people forget that the first season of The Walking Dead only had one great episode. And yes, it's one of the greatest pilots ever produced. Yes, it's still to this day the best episode of The Walking Dead. The pilot for The Walking Dead was fantastic and i think because we had the amazing incredible incredible pilot from the walking dead there was a lot of hope that this show would get better and we saw what it can do right from the start like the possibilities and so we stuck around and that's why it became so bloody popular right fear of the walking dead is completely opposite it didn't start well i wasn't a big fan of the first episode but it slowly improved with each and every single episode and in retrospect, when I look back at Fear of the Walking Dead, I think that there are three solid episodes. I'm not going to say fantastic, but three solid episodes. When I, and, and I don't think there's really a terrible episode. Maybe the pilot, sort of. But the first, ep- the first season of The Walking Dead, a lot of people forget that there's three terrible episodes in that season. So overall, I think the improvements here is that we have more characters that we focus on and center on right from the start. Uh, we have Two families, three families, actually, lots of characters to root for, lots of characters to fall in love with, except for maybe that pretty boy who should have died. Um, 
And so I, and, and, and the thing is, it's like, look, put it this way. If fear of the walking dead came first, like five years ago, it would have never have been the success that the walking dead is today. It's not because the walking dead came first. It's because of the pilot. And I know there's a lot of viewers that have dropped out over to, over to six weeks, which is not a good sign because you've only got six episodes in your first season and you've already lost viewers, right? Whereas walking dead, it increased the viewership, but I do like the characters my biggest problem with the first season is they somehow decided to kill off all of the female characters but one, and all of the female characters were the most interesting characters in the show. So that's my big problem with it. Okay, that's um, we'll we'll dive in with that then because um, they kill off Liza. Yeah, but that's and Griselda, I guess. Yes. But that's it. The rest of the female characters are all there. Well, no, they kill off the doctor. They kill off Liza. Okay, sure. Oh, I guess the do- I don't really think of the doctor as a character. She was just so peripheral to me that I didn't really think right, of but her. She, she actually, she is sort of like the most valuable character in the group because she's a doctor. <laughs> like you think yeah. you would want to keep her alive. I but again, why. she's not in the group. I know, but I really liked her character, and I thought she was a fantastic actress. And I like, I, despite the little screen time we have of her in season one, I would have preferred that she stay alive and they kill off the pretty boy, for example, because the whole I used to be a zombie because I was on heroin, and so I can relate to what's going on, like, didn't work for me at all. Yeah, and a lot of people have had issues with that character and the writing for that character. Um, I guess I should go back and answer the question myself. Um, I think that I, I was much more positive on how this show started than a lot of people, mostly probably because I wasn't expecting like something on the level of the walking dead pilot, which is like you say, a fantastic pilot and is so uh, effective in what it's establishing and, and in establishing a tone and really introducing this new world. Um, I, I thought it was a solid, you know, kind of drama pilot and if you didn't if it didn't have to deal with the baggage of being a prequel series i think it would have been more positively received i also don't get all the complaints i've heard from many places about the the teenage characters i think they're fine um i'm not hugely pop uh hugely big fan of the 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 addict character just because i feel like so frequently those types of characters are inserted into stories to become obstacles for people um, and that's, I don't feel like they've done enough to in- encourage me as a viewer that that is not what they're doing here. I just kind of am waiting for him to s- get people killed because he's trying to get a fix. Like that already s- happened a little bit in this season with the next door neighbor. Um, so I just, I, I, in him, I don't really see much of a character. I see more of a future obstacle and then he, he's going to get other people killed, but he's going to survive and he's going to feel really guilty about it. Like I you already can feel the sort of the plot beats and they, and like I said, with other characters, I think they've done a good job of establishing them as more three dimensional characters with him. I don't know that they've done that yet. Um, so I'm a little iffy on that, but I think the other characters have been fine. They, they could certainly use more exploration, but I don't think that they are particularly annoying or frustrating at all. Um, so I feel like they've gotten a bad rap, but for me, the show comes down to, the Kim Dickens character, the Cliff Curtis character, and then uh, the Reuben Blades character. Uh, and and Kim Dickens can do much more than what she's given for most of the season, yes. Um, but I thought she's a solid center for the series. And this really does feel like a, it's like a, it's a fine season for me. I don't think it's particularly, uh, I don't think it's great. I don't think it's even very good. I think it's just solid. 
Um, but I could see the show becoming something much more interesting now that we've gotten, I felt like we kind of needed to get season one out of the way, um, which is disappointing, but now we're there and I, I don't think it's a coincidence that the show really improved in the last few weeks. Yeah, I agree. It's funny because a lot of people have a, have issues with the Travis character. And if Why? Any, he's right. I, yeah, I know, right? He's in, in a way, he's complete, completely the opposite of Rick Grimes. But even at the end of the season, like he still does the dirty work. Like he still punches the shit out of Andy and leaves him left for dead when he shoots Ophelia. And... Can I tell you the, mo- the part of that that was my favorite? It mm-hmm. was when he gets up, there's no like, everybody looks at him like he's crazy and he like glances around and like, he's gone too far, man. The way that happens every time on The Walking Dead when Rick does that. Right. Also, did you notice that when he was getting tortured, they also didn't react the way that characters would react on The Walking Dead and they would have like this big, huge meeting and take up 45 minutes of the episode and they would have a big council meeting. Should we kick him out of the group? What should we do? And it's like, no, not in the show. And when uh, Travis releases the prisoner, like the, you know, the characters are like on board. Yeah, Matt exactly. Madison's like, yeah, that's what you should do. Like again, this I like the, the small ways and there are little moments. These things, these like reaction shots, or just little moments that at least for for the two of us having had a Walking Dead podcast for so long that we're that we're keying into as differentiating these characters from the characters in The Walking Dead. But for anyone who doesn't believe that Travis can turn and beat a man senseless, hasn't been watching the whole entire season because there's a slow buildup. Like he starts off as a pacifist. He doesn't even want to hold a gun and, and or shoot a zombie. He's slowly forced to do these things in order to keep his family alive, but not to the extremes like some of the characters on The Walking Dead. He feels more realistic. In, in he doesn't feel like a comic book character like Rick Grimes is, which he is, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So like, but it's still like, there's things like, you know, where I'm like, well, why did Andy shoot Ophelia? You know, or in the first episode, like, why did they go to the crack house, find a bunch of dead bodies and or not report it and then revisit the crack house? It was like, there's, there's questions and decisions made that I'm like, and that doesn't really seem realistic. But, you know, given the fact that it is the world of The Walking Dead, I can suspend my disbelief at times. But no, I do think that this is a pretty good episode, and a lot of people are complaining about the action and the gore. I mean, Greg Nicotero worked on the, the, the last episode, and I thought the action was fine. And we get that beautiful reference, well, I'm not going to say beautiful, more like horrific reference to the George A. Romero Dawn of the Dead movie when the guy decapitates himself using the helicopter propellers. I mean, that's a, straight out of like Dawn of the Dead. Um, so there's, there's the, the main difference between fear of the walking dead season one and the walking dead season one is fear of the walking dead does a better job in establishing who these people are and having some sort of character arc throughout the whole entire season. Whereas the walking dead, like it's just, it was basically like the first season was a, let's introduce you to like 16 characters each and every single episode and have like standalone episodes and three of which again, weren't very good. So there's a lot of hope here, you know. They don't they don't have Michelle McLaren directing some episodes. They don't have Greg Nicotero working on every single episode, but it's also like the first season. I think the what I'm keying into as these characters, um, the, what's differentiating these characters for me versus the the ones uh, in the first season, at least of The Walking Dead, is these feel more grounded. These characters feel more grounded. They feel more. Um, 
they feel more normal for lack of a better word so they don't feel as heightened they don't feel which makes sense because they're not coming from a comic book they're not coming from a at least what i've seen of it looks like it's a rather stylized comic yeah um so so i mean they they feel more and maybe people wanted that those bigger bolder characters maybe that's why people have connected so instantly with strand who is such a that's a distinct and very big character um and i the actor's doing a fantastic job with him too coleman domingo yeah that doesn't hurt um but for for me i mean i, I again i just i feel like this is get the show hasn't got has gotten a bit of a hard time because it's interested in regular people and uh it does it, i think they do actually a pretty good job of incorporating the information like having liza just take care of the everyone like you die some way and you come back like giving like the info dump um in this season finale so that everybody can be on board and they can be caught up with with the audience i think that's smart and i think they mostly handle that well but you know it's not as it's not as intense a character portrait as maybe the fans of that genre would like and it's not the larger than life kind of more uh comic book inspired more heightened world that maybe certain fans of the walking dead are are were hoping for so maybe that's why it 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 hasn't really been as embraced what do you think I honestly think that there's three type of people that do not like the show or are not hot on it that like The Walking Dead. I think there's the gore hounds who just feel like there isn't enough action and or gore because compared to The Walking Dead, okay, you're right. Um, I think there is people that just are bored with the idea of going back in time because we already know what happened with the zombie apocalypse and setting it all up again. Fair enough. Uh, but I think there's people that just like the characters that we get in The Walking Dead. And if there's one character in this show that can easily fit in with any of the first five seasons of The Walking Dead in terms of like the tone, like his character and the way he acts, it's Strand. Strand feels like a protagonist that would come out of any season of The Walking Dead. He's the one character in this show that feels like he belongs in that world. But I do like his character because the actor is doing such a great job with his character. And he's somewhat mysterious and we kind of feel like, you know, you can't trust him, but at the same time, you kind of need his help type thing. Like, he is the kind of person you want on your side. Uh, the other character who I absolutely love in the show is Daniel. And there's one scene in the season finale in where he approaches the compound on foot, and the armed soldiers are like, where are you going? And he's all calm and cool and collective. And he's like, you should save your ammunition and aim it towards them. And all of a sudden, you see, like, the horror zombies walking out. I just love that scene. And, like, that to me was, like, I think like that's one that specific episode won me over because it had everything that I wanted in the walking dead. It had all of a sudden we get the horde of zombies and we know we're going to get the action and the blood and the gore and the special effects that we love. But then we've already had these interesting characters and we've seen them grow and we've seen tragedy and we understand like, I don't know. We have like this man who, you know, despite the fact that he tortured Andy, we get enough backstory of him and his family and where he grew up and where he came from to understand why he's the type of person that could do something like torture a man to get information out of him. You know what I mean? So everything just kind of felt natural and organic. And and I was I totally bought into every single one of these characters. I'm just personally not a fan of I keep calling him the pretty boy because that's what Simon calls him. I don't know. I, that's that's a prime example. I don't even remember the kid's name. Who who are we talking about? I'm not sure is who it, the pretty boy is. The, the heroin addict. Because yeah, he's not, not pretty to me at all. Well, I, I so. don't think he's pretty either, and that's why I feel stupid calling him pretty boy, but whatever. It's um, Nick. 
right? Nick, thank yeah. you. Nick Clark. Yeah, I just, it's, I, he does not work for me. Like, I don't know, I think it's a combination of performance and the way the character is written, but just not interested in this character at all. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm more interested than most people seem to be, which isn't saying very much, but I am. Um, and I think that could, that character could become some, you know, someone more interesting. And I like the way that the show somewhat is examining who are the people that will survive and who are the people that are, will not survive. And Daniel is the survivor. And, right. and, uh, you know, they're, they're arguing that Nick is a survivor as well. And other people aren't. And, uh, and Liza is not, and she's not because she went to go help other people instead of staying with her family. Um, and, uh, it's, you know, so like having that be a conversation in the show, I think is an interesting one watching as Travis and Maddie are honed into the, being the kind of people that will survive or they die. Um, and maybe by the end of the season or series, you know, or a couple seasons in, they feel much more like characters in the walking dead because they've been shaped by those experiences in the way that, you know, we pick up with those characters at the beginning of the walking dead and they've been shaped by their experiences. So maybe that's, that's to come. But, um, but no, I mean, I like, I, I'm more on board with Nick. I just think that they need to, again, they, I, I, I need to see a purpose for him being there besides the fact that he's complicating their lives. Here's the thing about Nick. Like, I actually prefer Chris, who's the other son, right? Yeah. And the thing about Chris, uh, the thing about Nick is that I feel like the writing betrays the character because the the season starts. He's like a heroin addict. He's hanging out clearly with bad people. He wakes up in a crack house, and there's like bodies everywhere. He hangs out with drug dealers, and and he can't even stand up to his best friend who's about to shoot him. Like he just felt felt so like he felt like such a coward. He felt like he didn't have control. And clearly he didn't because he was like a drug addict. And by the end of the season, he kind of feels like he's the character that has the best chances of survival, at least according to Strand, which is why Strand saves him. And he takes him along because he's like, I need a guy like you. And I just I never saw that development. I was like, when? Since when was he like such a strong character? Well, so that's also, my problem. I also think Strand is just bullshitting him because he takes him along because he knows he's somebody that he can control. If he knows where, if he, all Strand needs to know is where a heroin stash is and he can control Nick and Nick will help him with anything because he can hook him up. Yes and no. I guess to some degree, yes, but I, I just, I still don't buy into it. I mean, Strand mm-hmm. could have helped a hundred people who were locked away. He only helps this one guy, and like he's a teenage boy. Why don't you take the big he's strong not, man? He's who... not a teenage boy, by the way. He's in his twenties. Okay, well, but, whatever. Yeah, he assumes as as a as an addict that Nick won't go out of his way to help other people. That he'll be more self motivated, you know, preservationist than you know some of the heroes that maybe he's he could be surrounded by. Mm-hmm. But but there's like there's so many scenes that remind me of stuff we've already seen in The Walking Dead. You know, for example, when Liza is about to kill herself and she's going to use the cattle gun. Like I can't specifically point out which scene of The Walking Dead because I kind of feel like there's several scenes in which we see a character left behind and there that goes ahead and commits suicide. So there's like specific beats here and there where. I kind of feel sorry for the show because how do you escape the comparison? I mean, you are a spinoff show. You do take place in a, in this world. The walking dead is so popular that the, and it set the bar so high 
that I kind of understand why people are let down, but I think it's the fault of the viewer because your expectations are too high. I don't think this is a, I, I think this is, I think that this is actually a really good season of television. I, let's talk a little bit about Dr. Exner um, and, and the cattle gun and all of that. Uh, the show spends zero time asking the audience to think about um, you, they release these hordes of zombies of walkers uh, on a community where there are still an entire, you know, L.A., greater L.A. area of people in there. Anybody in that facility, like in, in those suburbs that they were staying in are probably going to get eaten now. And that whole group, that whole sick bay was going to be lifted out. All those people were going to be saved. Um, and now they're not because we just had to save uh, Nick. That's not correct. Okay. No, because they explained it. I think if it wasn't the last episode, it was the end of uh, episode five. Yes. They said that the soldiers were going to leave, but they weren't going to take anybody along. Yes. However... They, they were going to bomb the town. Yeah, so anybody at the facility... So, like, you know, Exner would have gotten taken out of there. All their patients that were, were going to get taken out of there, that they get the... You know, were shown them getting the approval this week um, because they know that they're... Like, because basically they want... They need they need doctors. They need medical supplies. And these patients are not infected. So they will save all of them. And by releasing that 2,000 horde of zombies, they've effectively done the same thing, only instead of being, like killed in an incident in a bomb now all those people who were going to be bombed are going to get eaten okay wait a minute are you speaking of uh i'm confused what do you mean by they released the zombies they didn't release the zombies yeah where do you think those zombies came from they came from the stadium right daniel released those zombies yeah daniel released the zombies daniel daniel not the soldiers not this no what i'm saying is that our heroes released those zombies so there's the show is not asking us to examine the morality of of they think they're saying oh this is so horrible project you know cobalt this is so terrible how could anybody do this now let's go do functionally the same thing i get what you're saying i think the thing is i'm trying to put myself in their heads i think the idea is that they were told that the soldiers were going to leave. They were going to leave everyone behind, not take anyone along with them, including the patients. And therefore, he was using the zombies as ammunition because they had machine guns and they needed someone to overtake the soldiers so they can get out and survive. I mean, that's what The Walking Dead has always been about. It's about man versus man, not really man versus zombie. So, yeah. I mean, that, that's where the show sort of loses its own identity because it becomes so similar to The Walking Dead in those final moments, right? And so that's why leading into season two, what we're going to have is we're going to have your typical zombie show about these people surviving. It's going to be about everything that they do is all about survival. And that's it. And we're not going to have any Christmas episodes or weddings like we always wanted. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I get what you're saying, but what do you expect? It's The Walking Dead. Yeah, but but it's... it's, if I'm not holding it up to the expectations of The Walking Dead, then it doesn't get the benefit of the doubt or like the, the built-in established rules of The Walking Dead either. Fear of The Walking Dead doesn't get those. And I also have to say, um, how how does this stop them all from getting bombed? They're still in L.A. They're still like the Abigail's right there. But how come like they were going to get bombed from above, right? Right, I know. So how I mean, are they not bombed anyways? How how do they not go, oh shit, drop the bombs sooner because now there's a horde of zombies? 
it's a terrible plan. I'm not going to argue, but I guess if they were desperate, I mean, this is the thing when it comes to like horror movies or in this case, like a horror television show, it's, it's basically a way to give the audience what they kind of want, which is the special effects, the action, the gore, the blood, right? Mm -hmm. The thing about the walking dead is what it does better is when it does give us one of the spectacular action set pieces and the special effects specifically by Greg Nicotero is it's done in a way where it's clever. Usually, like, it's clever. They have, like, great ways to come up with zombie kills and just kills in general. In Fear of the Walking Dead, the action isn't at the same level as The Walking Dead. So here it's kind of like, well, we need a big action set piece because it's, like, episode six, the season finale. So what are we going to do? We're going to release the zombies. <laughs> what else are they going to do? I'm not saying it's the best decision that they could make, but I think the showrunners felt they needed it. Well, all I'm saying is you don't need to change the decision. I just... I'd like to see a little awareness from, if not the characters, then the the show itself via the direction and some of the shot choices and uh, and even just like reaction shots and different things like that. Some awareness from the show, or at least one of the characters, of the horror of what they did. Yeah. And the choice that they made. And it doesn't seem like there's that awareness. It seems more like a, oh, snap, we released the zombies. Now you're distracted. But I mean, like... How is Travis making any argument for do the right thing when he and like the in a arguing against torture when he has agreed to this plan? Yeah. How is there any moral high ground left? Because, because you know the way they think, and this is how most people would think, is because you're not actually doing the killing, like yes, you release the quote unquote weapons, like the zombies, but you're not actually killing anybody. So you, those people out there still have ways to survive, just like you still have to survive. That's the way they're thinking. I and mean, I think that's actually very humanistic. Like, I think most people will do the exact same thing. Yeah, like, I guess. Most people are just concerned about surviving. They're not concerned about being the best person on the planet. And the thing about Travis is he actually went out with the soldiers. I think it was episode five or four. And he got to see the city and there was really nobody left alive. And the people that were left alive, they saw them shoot them like they saw the silhouette right when remember there was like the person yeah, living far away no that was they didn't know that they saw them shoot a uh a zombie in a shop but they 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 saw somebody else alive and you know not a zombie across mm -hmm. town and they he went out to try to find them but didn't actually find them right but then we have a shot later on in that episode at the end of the episode where the same person were the building, mm -hmm. like specifically the window where they were trying to signal for help, we see the soldiers enter and shoot them. So we assume oh, okay. that they're not shooting zombies. They're actually shooting humans, like people who've actually survived for whatever okay. reason, which doesn't make sense because why wouldn't the soldiers take someone else in when they've already taken all these other people in and questions, you know? Yeah. Um, but regardless, I mean, we can nitpick like all we like all we want. I mean, there's we're very like, good at that. <laughs> yeah, like there's there's like I mean, again, why did Andy shoot Ophelia? Like Ophelia, because he was trying to inflict the kind of pain upon Daniel that Daniel had inflicted upon him, and just shooting him would not have done that. So instead, he shot his daughter. <laughs> I, I get it, but I just think it was a stupid okay thing to write into Fair like. The episode, like, because because the reason, the real reason is, I'm talking from a from the point of view of a writer, is because they want to find a reason to get Travis to beat the the guy up, so we can see this transformation in Travis, like we have yeah. seen in characters like in The Walking Dead. That's why they do it. That's what yeah. I'm trying to say. So it's, that's why. 
<laughs> do we have any to wrap things up? Do you have any other like highlights or lowlights of the season that you'd like to mention? Any uh, favorite characters we might not have mentioned? Or I mean, you already mentioned being disappointed that Liza is gone. I absolutely agree. I really enjoy. I mean, she's so that actress is so fantastic on Orange Is the New Black. Yeah. Uh, I would. I she got super underused all season. I would have loved to have seen her get uh, a really meaty role in the next season. So I was. It was a beautiful way that they ended that arc with her. Um, but it would have been would have been nice to see her get more to play. Uh, did you have any other highlights or lowlights of the seasons? Um, I, season? think, I think my highlight, actually, because I disagree with people who say that the last episode wasn't well-directed in terms of, like, the action. Because the scene in which they're trying to escape the compound and or the hospital, whatever you call it, and the lights are flickering on and off. And Nick and Strand are trying to get out. And she's trying to open a door for them. And it keeps looking and sorry that was that was intense it was well it was well directed and that brief character moment of having tell his mom to leave yeah that does a lot for that character it does because that's like the one moment where i was like actually hoping he would survive so that whole entire sequence i think was the highlight and my favorite character it's tough i oh god it's tough um because there's no there's you know what though (laughs) actually i think my favorite character is who I call the Daryl of this show. You okay. Know what I'm talking about? Can you guess? Daniel. Yeah. I, I mean, feel like I was like, are, do you mean somebody other than Daniel? Because obviously the Daryl is Daniel. Yeah, clearly. Like he's going to be, I think, the fan favorite if he's not already the fan favorite. See, I, th- I feel like there's not, the, there isn't a one-to-one comparison. Of the characters we've seen, he is the most like that. But Because we enjoy that character, um, until he starts torturing people, at least for me, but we enjoy that character because we know that he's right about what's coming. And so he, he speaks for the audience. Um, and he also is quick to, when, when other characters like Travis is being, the rational sane person in this situation. Um, but we know he's wrong because we know the future. Uh, Daniel is the one that counters that. And uh, it's, it's, that's, I mean, so he's the closest to the, to the Daryl, but I, I think he's, I, I, while I think fans will enjoy him, I think they don't have anything nearly approaching a Daryl yet on the show. They will need to find that. Mm-hmm. Well, and the thing about Daryl, the last thing I'm going to say is that it's sort of accidental with, with Daryl. Like, I mean, Daryl, is not like a big, huge character in the comic book. He's not like the Michonne or Tyrese or even Rick Grimes. He was just a character, but he just somehow became so popular in the TV show. But The Walking Dead does have these characters like Michonne and Tyrese and a lot more coming. This is not based on a comic book. So in a way, they they don't have these iconic characters that people are familiar with, but at the same time, they have the freedom to do whatever they want without feeling tied down to the comic book. And that's why I still think that this show has potential to be better than The Walking Dead. Yeah, just having it, having us go headed towards a yacht and headed towards water. And what does that mean? And uh, it is very exciting for next season. Cause uh, how many people do you talk to you about their zombie survival plan? And they're like, I'm getting out to a houseboat because zombies can't go underwater. And then you have the whole argument between people about, can they walk along the lake bed? You know, like that's such a, uh, that's such an instinctual like response to the zombie apocalypse question that it's nice to see. And that that has never come up on the the original series. So it's really great to see them headed in that very different direction, um, distinguishing themselves even further theoretically from the original series with the second season. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. Any final thoughts? 
That's it. I enjoyed it. I'm happy. Yeah. yeah. Anything you want to see next season that we haven't already mentioned? I want to see. I want to see like midway or late into season two, them run across one of the people that like Strand and like Maddie or something run across one of the people that Strand abandoned and that Maddie saved, and that person, you know, like I, I think they because we don't see what happens to anybody else who Next. they they free. From the from you know from those cages, I think there's a lot of potential to have that come back and introduce like somebody who could become a Carol, who could become a Daryl, in that way. Yeah, I mean, I can write up a list of twenty things I would want to see next season. I mean, I would love to see one of the characters from The Walking Dead, maybe someone who's not left alive, sort of pop up in the show because it is a prequel, which can you know could happen. It could be Morgan, you know, it could be mm-hmm. could be anyone really. It could be Merle. Um, I would like. To to see them stay somewhere in and around the city and if not a totally different location apart from like the typical cabin in the woods 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 cabin in the woods <laughs> how about you know? uh uh desert island an island would be cool i just don't see it happening no they're not going to do it but i mean wouldn't that be fun like they, they, be- they wind up on lost island it would actually be amazing. They could spend a whole season on an island and probably cut down their budget in terms of like uh, spending for set design and what you should call it. And mm-hmm. it'll be a welcome change. But yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for talking Fear the Walking Dead with me, uh, Rick. Where can our listeners find you and your work online if they they should we they should all know, but in case they don't, where can they find you and your work online? Um, you can find me over at popoptic.com, P-O-P-O-P-T-I-Q.com. I am uh, right now releasing my list of the 200 greatest horror films ever made, and uh, I do also co-host the Walking Dead podcast with you, and I have the Sorted Cinema podcast, which is the longest-running genre film review show online, the third oldest film review show online, and. I think we're on episode 506, and we review genre film each and every single week. So that's about it. And you can, of course, find me at Pop Optic as well, um, Talking Walking Dead, starting next week with Ricky here, um, as well as uh, Knock on Wooden Things. I'll be back to uh, timely Doctor Who reviews soon, as well as reviewing Heroes Reborn over at the AV Club. You can uh, email the televerse at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook to start up a conversation there. We heard from one of our listeners on Facebook this week. Thank you. Always appreciated. Um, you can also uh, find us in iTunes where we have an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. We always do appreciate uh, ratings and reviews over there. It does help other people find the show. And uh, our iTunes feed got a bit, um, It was there were some difficulties with the feed for a while, but those seem, those should all have been resolved. So any delays in your Televerse fix the last couple of weeks, I bust my butt to make sure that these episodes get out Tuesday night or in the wee hours of Wednesday. So I apologize for the delay in those, but we should be back to our regular no feed issues um, schedule from now on. You can also uh, just reach out to me on Twitter at the Televerse. And I love talking TV with you guys. So please do reach out there as well as at the website. So thank you again, Ricky, for coming on. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. And thank you everyone for listening. I'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. 